Welcome to The Watching Dead, the officially unofficial podcast for The Walking Dead on AMC. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 5, Episode 2, titled Strangers. Stranger Danger. Ooh, Strangers in a Strange Land. Uh, Stranger What did danger. you think overall about this episode of The Walking Dead? Well, it's not last week. Uh, could it be, though? It couldn't be, really. I Well, it could be. I mean, nah, it, you can't. I. Look, I read an article saying that, like, AMC's charging half of what they, like, Super Bowl commercial rates for primetime slots on this. Okay. And there's, like, 18 million people watching it, and they've got Hyundai giving them money, and Microsoft, and everybody. This thing's a money machine. They could easily make an episode of that extravaganza. From a budget perspective, but from a story perspective where did you want them to go? Like, run into another group and get captured and bust out again? <laughs> like, I don't know. They I want, had already busted out. I want an eight-part epic of them fighting a 15,000-strong zombie horde just in the <laughs> middle of it. Like, something like three fucking hundred with zombies. Uh-huh. Okay. And and Michonne reaches for her sword, and it's not there, and yeah, they and, all die. And having uh, Rick end. do all the classic King Leonidas... This is Georgia! <laughs> Kicks him into a pile of peaches. <laughs> okay, uh, do we have anything we want to talk about before we get into the recap? Do you want to tell us who, who you know made what? this episode? Let's talk about... Yes, I do. Okay. But before we do that, let's talk about the Walker Stalker Con. Yeah, yeah. That was fun. First of all, thanks to everybody who came out and saw us uh, at the panel. And also the follow-on drinking and debauchery. Mm-hmm. Where I got unprofessionally sloshed, but I think I held it together. I don't. I don't think there was any bald move scandals. You were only partially nude, so yeah, yeah. Uh, so, the, so there was that. Um, but it was a lot of fun. Did we glean anything? Did you glean anything from the different panels and from the information that we talked about? Um, for the information that was presented, the behind the scenes stuff. Uh, I don't know what you mean by glean anything, but. The de- uh, definition of gleaning, <laughs> yeah, but in reference to what, like, okay, so let me let me tell you what I saw, and then maybe you can follow okay. suit. Really, the only one, because characteristically, these are puff pieces. Yes, they are. They're hug fest. What first, they turn first into, of all, this is bullshit. All you people stand up to ask ask some bullshit <laughs> question and then ask for a hug. That these, what are they going to do? Uh, say no and look like assholes? I would. If this was my convention, I'd have pillboxes with machine guns ready. Uh, but, Walkers uh, on chains uh, in front of the stage. So, so I'm really glad that you're getting your moment to get hugged by a celebrity while we spend 45 seconds awkwardly watching it all happen for the 50th time. Mm. But fuck y'all. Stop doing that. That's bullshit. They uh, need to get some kind of moderated question because this it's, it's really destroying that aspect of the con. But traditionally, it's always been puff pieces anyway, kind of softball lob questions. You get very little true insight. Mm-hmm. But I thought that the Grove panel was a little bit aberration. I like the Grove panel, yeah. So, so the Grove panel was There Chad- were a couple hugs, but... Sure. Um, the Grove panel was uh, Chad Coleman. It was uh, Melissa... McBride. McBride. It was... Uh, Brighton Bright Charbino. Charbino. Yeah. Everybody was involved in the Grove episode, and 
There's a couple things I glean. Number one, the adult actors of this show, at least the Chad Coleman's and Melissa McBride's, spend a lot of time thinking about their character Mm -hmm. and their motivations and why they do the things they do. Possibly more time than the writers themselves. Sure. The other thing that's frustrating, because I I walked away from that panel kind of understanding why Tyrese would be the kind of man that would hesitate to kill zombies and hesitate to kill human beings even this late into it. Yeah. Um, That's a testament to how fucking charming and charismatic Chad Coleman is. My Mm -hmm. dad, give it up for him. Uh, Second... But you shouldn't have to go to a convention and hear a specific panel in order to understand that. No, no, that's right? the thing. It's it's shocking <laughs> how little of that stuff makes it onto the screen. Yeah, and I'm I'm hoping that going forward that more of that can can get can get can get on there. The second, like, I really felt bad for a lot of things I said about the child actors because first of all, you know, Brighton seems like a very pleasant young woman. Uh-huh. And she acquitted herself very well on the panel. She addressed the fact that so many fans hated her, and you know, and seemed to be kind of okay with it. You know, like she it rolled off her back pretty, yeah, well. pretty well adjusted to that whole concept. Um, yeah, and I came out of there uh, having a lot more respect for Brighton because of some of the answers she gave. She just seemed to understand more than I gave her credit for. I also. Uh, came away with my opinion that she was kind of thrown to the wolves by the writing and dire- writers and directors uh-huh. because she was turning to people for help on how the nuances of portraying some of these things that as a, you know, 10 or 11 year old, however she old she was, had, would have no real grasp. And I think, you know, she talked about talking to her mom. She talked about leaning on Melissa uh, other times they talked about different people on 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 The Walking Dead, but she never referenced any of the directors or writers. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, that's the thing that there just wasn't a lot of attention given to that area. And yeah, I mean, I don't think the writers are going to be out on set. I don't know, know coaching the actors through what they're doing. It's the director's. It's job. It's the director's job. Sure. And you had a lot of you know as I went into a lot of depth. That's kind of why I started paying attention to writing and directing on these shows because. You see a, a director that might is his first or second gig, and he might just be thrilled. Yeah. He's working on something this big, this high profile, and himself not have the expertise to give these these young this young talent what it what it, they need to do. Uh, and you've seen how some you know hands off directors like Lucas George Lucas specifically ha- has you know just really failed talented actors like Natalie Portman and Ewan McGregor, etc. <laughs> You know, you imagine, and then God, you know, Jake Lloyd, how many people hated his performance. And it's like, you know, I, but I, I guess I really came with that confirmed that with her answers and, and Melissa and Chad talking about the experience, it did feel like mm-hmm. some of that stuff just wasn't working. Yeah, and it felt like she had a very good grasp on her character at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a very damaged girl who's trying to deal with a, a very fucked up situation and... uh she there there was one comment like did, did Lizzie know like that she was going to die when when Carol told her to look at the flowers and Lizzie was uh Brighton was like no no she didn't uh she was just disappointed in herself for disappointing Carol uh who she looks up to as a mother and uh-huh. I, I I just I liked her answers a lot to some of these questions uh I I got to say 
Melissa McBride not willing to uh, to talk much during that panel. Well, I, I just don't feel like she has that kind of personality, right? Well, and you know, the other thing is you, I sometimes wonder what these stars make of this. That they signed, especially the frontline people, they signed up with Fr- Frank Darabont mm-hmm. that has a history of making kind of supernatural or paranormal, but realistic based, quiet character study developments. They yeah. sign on and they've worked with him before. And now it's just this massive action, like Star Trek, the next generation fan communities, they're rabid and they're asking a lot of you know, personal questions and are wanting hugs. I, and, and if you're the type of person that's kind of maybe more introverted and quiet, and which she strikes me as, yeah, um, I can't even imagine what that would be like. Yeah, she did drop some information about uh, Carol's fate, I guess. Um, not Carol's potential future fate, but, you know, some of the stuff that was going to happen to Carol. Like, she was supposed to be killed off sometime in season three. Uh, and and there was a phone call that she got to make and tell the higher ups like why like who Carol is and why Carol shouldn't be killed off yet. And she this was during the the era of Mazera, Mazera era, <laughs> where she actually you know defended her. Can we her call character. this? Can we officially call it the BS era before Scott? <laughs> Uh, I'll stay with the AD. It's AD. It's after Darabont. It's BS before Scott. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Fair enough. Yeah, but I I thought that was cool that they were willing to, you know, hear out a potential storyline for this character and say, yeah, there is, there's more left for this character. And I, I think if they had killed her in season three, season four, Carol was stronger than any other Carol any other version of Carol. And that's where she needed to get before I think they let her go. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I just want to mention is the, the VIP party, which is something they do at at least all the Atlanta ones. I'm not sure about the others, but uh, what's really cool about the Atlanta one is all the stars are there and they all kind of, I mean, most of them show up. I mean, I got to meet uh, Josh McDermott who plays uh, Eugene, who yep. was cool. He was rocking the mullet. He actually, when he walked in the room, he like fanned the mullet out like a cobra, a yeah. cobra preparing to strike. It was impressive. And drawn, drawn huge crowds. Uh, Gareth, who's uh, played by Andrew West. The, the other thing that impressed me about all these guys is how relatively big they were. Some of them. Some of them were relatively small. Who? Uh, Lawrence Gilliard Jr. Uh, yeah, Lawrence Gilliard is, Tiny a, guy. is, is an a- average sized to, to, to smaller guy. But, you yeah. know, Gareth, I would assume he was like, you know, just a little bitty thing. Yeah. Uh, he's a solid six foot at least. Hmm. Uh, the guy plays Abraham, uh, Michael Cudlitz, another solid six foot beefy dude. Um, you know, super friendly guy. So if, if that's something that you got, that, that you would enjoy doing, I encourage you to check out Walker Stalker when it comes around the next year. Sure. A lot of cool stuff to see there. Uh, let's talk about the episode, Strangers. It's directed by David Boyd, who's mostly known as a director of photography for a lot of popular series. Maybe you've heard of Firefly. Maybe you've heard of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Maybe you've heard of Friday Night Lights. He's mm-hmm. also serves as director for a couple of Friday Night Lights, and he did a couple of the better Walking Deads last year. Okay. Um, also directed The Revolution, uh, Once Upon a Time. He's got a decent ah, amount of now that I've credits. heard of. <laughs> that I've heard of. And it's written by some guy, uh, Robert Kierkeman. Yeah. Who, yeah. I don't know if he's got a lot of zombie experience or not. 
Um, Robert Kirkman written written by uh, that guy. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't a bad episode, honestly. I mean, yeah. th- there were a couple of fishy parts. Which uh, we'll talk about. We'll talk about, but, you know, I, in my opinion, they couldn't do another Gonzo episode like they did last time, so I was expecting something quieter. No, I, honestly, the worst part of the episode, I can only talk about in the spoiler section, so... Okay. Um, well, why don't we get into the recap? Let's do it. Okay. We start off with uh, smoke in the trees, some slow-mo walking, some very... It's weird how they split up the slow-mo walking to me. Right, they're like, let's give them a hint. Let's let's give them a taste Just of the slow mo walk. Just a taste. And then we'll give them some more, but we'll charge for it. Uh, they're taking a hiking break, a break from hiking, and Tara gives this weird look at Maggie while she's kissing Glenn, and then Rick comes up and talks to her, kind of about her place in the group, and then, ugh, pounds it out. The fist, the return of the fist. Bump. Oh my god! I thought they were gonna let it die. I really did. The what? Yeah. Why would I think that? <laughs> no, I why would they bring it back, man? It's a thing for them. I I'm sure there are just as many people as hate the fist bump who like it. I they do not listen to this podcast. You're right. You're right. Although I'm virtually guaranteed I will get thirty yeah. some emails saying, I love the fist bump. The fist bump is is life. <laughs> the fist bump is salvation. And if so, then be healed, uh, because I, I just literally groaned. And I, I did like how they played uh, Rick, uh, how Andrew Lincoln played Rick, where he's just like in dis- stunned disbelief, and then kind of yeah. like, for real, and then kind of like, why the fuck not? Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's good. I like everything about Andrew Lincoln's performance in this episode. I wish, and this, I, I wish, and here's a funny YouTube video that we'll never do. We splice together him stonewalling uh father gabriel <laughs> with the fist bump reaction uh-huh. and yep. we just keep going back to her like the l- l- hanging and him like close up of him just like stonewalling uh-huh. and did that would be pretty funny that'd be awesome uh so we get some more slow-mo walking then carol and tyrese collect their their water um well they they talk about what happened with karen and david and in the prison and on, on the road trip just kind of have a general discussion about that and tyrese at the end says i just need to forget the kids the kids uh so i mentioned the slow-mo walking we're not done with the slow-mo walking yet oh no there's slow-mo walking in between these conversations between a couple of people for days maybe even months could be years yeah Uh, i we don't know we don't know um i feel like it's about 30 minutes okay they they've been on the road for 30 minutes sure abraham's like are we ready to find some concrete Mm mm-hmm they haven't been on the road. They've been in the woods. Yeah, yeah, fair. For 30 minutes. Uh, do you think that this walking, this slow-mo walking is supposed to tell us anything about this group? Like, now they've survived yet another potential catastrophe that could have killed them all. Uh, here they are, slow-mo walking, and we see they're looking pretty badass, right? Yeah, no, totally. I mean, is this about the journey? Is this, like, this kind of intercut with the conversations that they're having about recent events supposed to be describing and visualizing their journey? Yeah, I feel like it's supposed to, you know, montage quality, like we talked about in the uh, instant cast. It's supposed to suggest a passage of time. Yeah. I just think that I defy anyone to give me a definitive answer for how long they've been in the woods, Uh where in the United States they actually are. At this point, yeah. Hmm. And how long the Terminus people have been tracking them. 
Because I feel like you can do it because if you know where Terminus is, which we actually do because it's a real place it's downtown Georgia. Yeah, downtown Atlanta. Right it's, it's in Atlanta, downtown Georgia. <laughs> uh, so, but yeah, it's the, it's the fact that this is a montage, and montage usually means a long time to me, like mm-hmm. more than an hour, more more than six hours, sure, more like days. Uh, it could be weeks or months. That's the thing. Like at least days. But I really don't know here. Is there any? Is there any hint about the the foliage? Because I I noticed in the previous episode hmm. they were still in sweaty Atlanta mode, sweaty okay. Georgia mode, and now like Rick's they're constantly covered jacket. in in perspiration. This it seemed like that the leaves were starting to turn, and yeah, that it was a little bit. Everyone's wearing long sleeves. Nobody was as I mean, there wasn't the ever ever present sweat on brow. Yeah. Again, not a great way to suggest the passive chime, and it wasn't like autumnal. I mean, there wasn't like brilliant oranges and yellows, but you, there were some leaves falling, and I, I don't know. I all right. I, so I I feel like it's not supposed to be very long, yeah. like a day or two. Yeah, maybe. But maybe they'll maybe they'll fill us in. Like they'll refer to the harsh Georgia winter setting in, <laughs> and then we'll know for sure. Sure. Uh, so then we get more slow mo walking, and Michonne uh, sees a walker, and she goes up to kill it, and she reaches for a sword, and it's not there. And uh, I think Rick takes note of that at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, Abraham tells Rosita that this is why they're waiting for their moment when he sees uh, Michonne take the gun that she now has and bash the walker's brains in. Why do you think he says that? I don't really know, but I'll, I'll hazard a guess. Okay. This man sees this as a very strong group. And, and and I'm reading between the lines, like Michonne is a very impressive person. Mm -hmm. You know, Glenn and Maggie are impressive people. Uh, Everyone really ever, even Carl, uh, Carol, my God, Carol's yeah. uh, John Rambo. Everyone except Tara. Yeah, Tara's got the weak <laughs> ass fist fist bump, but uh, you know she hasn't been hanging around Rick long enough. Yeah, sure. Same with Bob. And he and he looks at this group and he thinks to himself, "Self, this man with the beard and the curly hair is their leader. I have to pick my spot if I if I want to if, if I want to change this group's mind. If I want to get them under my banner." I got after I have I I can't just like lead with the y'all got to fall behind me and we're going to march Eugene into Washington we're going he he has to pick a spot about when's the right time to to make that plea. Yeah, he kind of tried that with Glenn the wrong way, didn't he? Uh, yeah. Like saying we're going to go to DC. Yeah. And Glenn was like, "Nope, I'm going to find Maggie." Yeah. Sorry. And, <laughs> and and I feel like that maybe is is why and then they they highlighted that it's like you know this is not even the leader this this is just a regular badass and and he's like yeah. and Rick's like king of badasses. And I think probably Eugene's used to or not Eugene. Uh, Abraham's used to like controlling and being the leader of every group he's in and now there's like a leadership potential leadership struggle. Sure. So I think he's self-aware enough to know that he has to navigate that. That's what I'm thinking. Did you did you have a take? Yeah, I, I feel like that's probably the correct answer there uh, and what they wanted us to take away from it. Did you notice that zombie that Michonne dispatched was tied up with barbed wire? Uh, yeah, what's that about? I, I don't know, like somebody tried to restrain her so she couldn't turn or... Maybe. I, I don't know. I mean, that implies to me that she was 
you know, strung up what she's. I, I have no idea. Is that evidence of some weird Morgan shit? That's the other thing I was curious about. <laughs> some weird Morgan. No, shit. you know how Morgan's murder town was set up. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Barbed wire everywhere. Like he had a uh, a barbed wire zombie yo yo that she escaped from. Or, uh-huh. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, anyway, Rick thanks Carol for saving them uh, in a in a conversation, and and Carol. Gives back his watch, but then refuses to take her own back when he tries to return the favor there. Uh, Rick still has some reservations about Karen and David, and uh, but he, he's not okay completely with his decision to banish her anymore. Uh, and then he asks her if they can join basically her group. I read this as Rick saying, you are the survivor that I want all of us to be. Can we join you? I just read this as 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 Rick not approving of her methods. Sure. But also no longer willing to condemn her in evidence of the self-sacrificing nature she made for his family. Like yeah. the reason he dismissed her is I cannot trust you with my family. Mm-hmm. Well, now you can fuck her because she didn't have to and she saved uh a mem- uh, you know the the most helpless member of your fa- her family. Sure. If she was yeah. just on a murderous tear. And I also think that Rick was still kind of in farmer gear and that he was kind of blind to some of the dangers they faced there at the prison and how fragile that was. And that was, again, he's not saying, I don't condone and fully understand, but I also know that I don't know everything that you know and whether everything's going in your head and some of that stuff is valuable too. Sure. No, I, I completely get that. That's the Karen and David stuff um, and his his banishment decision. But at the at the very end, when he asks her if if they can join her, that was kind of a, a flip of the script, right? Because well, so that they was, would be accepting her back into their group, but he frames it differently. No, I think that was just a really cute way to do that. Okay, um, not and not cute like oh I mean, well, kind of all that too. But I think it was a way instead of being like, "Hey, I changed my mind. You can come back to my group." Yeah, he's giving her a little more. Uh, power a little more he was putting himself more into the supplicant role yeah that makes but not kind of not really i mean they both were in on the joke and i thought it was yeah. a really sweet moment between those two and sure that was one that i kind of had my arms crossed my eyebrows raised because as you knew from last cast i was kind of wanting to know if they're going to acknowledge that or how it's going to handle it and i honestly thought it's the best way they could yeah yeah it was really good totally bought every bit of that interaction um then we go over to another conversation with carol this time with Daryl, and he's trying to talk to her about what happened while she was banished, um, what happened with Karen and David, everything that she just talked with Rick and Tyrese about, and she doesn't really want to talk about it. I think she doesn't want to talk about it because she's protecting Tyrese here. Like, Tyrese, she says exactly the same thing, like, I just want to forget about the kids. I I need to forget about the kids, is what she tells Daryl, the exact words that Tyrese used. You're right. I don't know if she is just aping what he's saying. Yeah. Out of respect for Tyrese, because she's also clearly disturbed mm-hmm. to be back in the situation, and she kind of a, a, at one point attempts to flee it. Yeah. Uh, maybe this doesn't feel right to her. Maybe she doesn't feel like she can trust herself, or maybe she, I don't know, maybe she blames herself for how twisted up Lizzie got. Hmm. I, I don't know. Maybe. This this is definitely going to be interesting to see how she reintegrates and restarts, or if she even can. Yeah. Yeah, I would have loved to hear what Melissa McBride had to say about that in the panel, but... Well, people got yet. hugged. It wasn't out yet. People yeah. got lots of hugs. That's true. So we could have got some good information about that, but at least people got hugged. 
Yep. Uh, anyway, Daryl understands, or at least says he does, and then he hears something in the woods. Hears? Hears or feels. Later he says that he didn't so much hear them as he felt them. Uh, we didn't see or hear anything, really. Do you have a Because we're already talking about that scene. Do you have a problem with Daryl unable to find any physical evidence of the hunters? Uh... He has always been Super Tracker Daryl. Yeah. Like, that's been his superhero power, is to track anything. Uh, maybe it should give us an indication about how dangerous these people are. Is it, Maybe that's what they're trying to do. If Daryl can't track them, oh my god, who can? Yeah. Uh, but I, I'm not certain exactly what that's supposed to mean. Yeah, I just think it's... You know, Daryl's this, like, ultimate tracker... He's like, yeah. what was that guy's? What was what was the guy's name from Predator that was a Native American, like badass? Know. Like his name is Johnny or something. And like Dutch was always going up to him. He's looking off in the woods. And he's like, we're being watched, and but I can't really tell. And yeah, whatever. Like that was an alien with a fucking cloaking device. Uh huh. So like, and he and he's swinging from tree to tree. He never really touches the ground. So okay, I'll give you that one. Are you saying Gareth is not an alien who swings from tree to tree? This guy, like Conan O'Brien <laughs> said, this guy looks like the weird Apple employee at the Apple <laughs> store. Just, tra- just traipsing uh, around in the woods. He, and that's the thing. Like they make it, they make it a pain. They take pains to show us just what Gareth is. Gareth is a guy t- up till a year ago that was, you know, pre-apocalyptic, whatever. And then he ran a post-apocalyptic refugee center. And then he got brutalized and he took over. So I'm not saying he's not a survivor, he's not a fighter. But Daryl's been living in the woods since he's like seven years old. Yeah. I, 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 okay. <laughs> there's a certain amount of woodcraft you need to know to counteract that. Yeah, I maybe, agree. Maybe they've got a real, like, maybe baseball cap is like a dyed-in-the-wool tracker. He's a real bow man. Sure. I don't know. We'll, 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 but, I, yeah, it's like, you know, it's a wharf effect. If, if if you take your biggest badass and you have him defeated by some slack-jawed yokel, yeah. is he really that big of a badass? Sure. Either that or the other guy's a bigger badass that that we didn't know about. D- Daryl killed a tank. He did. Single-handedly. He did. Just say. And look at the number of squirrels. He's caught... All of the squirrel meat in Georgia yeah. is on the back of Daryl Dixon yes, now. Yes, uh, They're walking through the woods, this time in regular speed. Wouldn't it be funny if, if Daryl was like, oh, I'm never going to be outsmarted again. He makes a ghillie suit out of just squirrel pelts. <laughs> like, there's like, like 73 tails flopping around on him. It would be so weird. He's peering if- out between two squirrel heads, like the mouths are open and there's his eye holes. <laughs> If they turn Daryl into, like, a doomsday prepper level insane character <laughs> at some point. Sure. Uh, oh, that'd be awesome. Uh, people would not like that, though. So apparently Daryl told Rick about the people watching him, uh, but that he couldn't track him. Abraham and Rick both want to find a vehicle, and they talk about getting on the road. Yeah, so uh, there's Bob another... and Sasha are playing the good apocalypse, bad apocalypse game. Okay, before, before we go to that, there's yep. a little clue to perhaps their location Abraham says it's about time to start heading north. Okay. Is he suggesting that they're far enough east that they need to start heading north to get to D.C.? Um, Surely not. They can't be near the coast. They can't have walked like hundreds and hundreds of miles. Either that montage is way longer than we think. Way longer. Or 
they're very close to where they started. Right. Uh, I, I don't know. Anyway, so Bob and Sasha are playing Good Apocalypse, Bad Apocalypse, and they hear someone screaming and run over to help. Uh, I wasn't sure what they were doing with this game at the, at the after the first viewing. And you told me uh, Sasha was saying one good thing or one bad thing about the apocalypse, yeah. and Bob was saying, twisting it on its head and saying why that's actually a good thing. Yeah, uh, in the apocalypse, like insect bites, itching makes you feel like you're alive, and yeah, uh, sun beating down on you, glorious tan, yeah, that sort of thing. Um. Anyway, so they run over to a priest who's being attacked by walkers, and the group runs in, kills the walkers, saves the priest who is named Gabriel. And then Rick asks him the the now four questions, I guess, and agrees to take them. Uh, he agrees to take them back to his church. I, I love this scene. It's great. It's great. I love the character that Rick is becoming. I mean, you don't want to see your hero necessarily become uh, an asshole to everyone, but I feel like it's appropriate given Rick's circumstances. Yeah, I mean, plus this guy, you find a priest... In full frock, uh-huh. in the middle of the goddamn woods on a rock, and he says he's never killed a walker and he's never killed a person. Uh-huh. Fuck all that. I, I and I love that thing where he's like, uh, uh, "Do you have a camp?" Because I have a church. And Rick's like, "Hold your hands, get your <laughs> hands over your heads. Like, just fuck, fuck this. I'm patting you down. I'm asking my three questions. Yeah. Uh, the fourth question: What have you done? So Rick is suspicious of this guy from the very beginning. Sure. Uh, and I like that. Suspicious because he won't eat food that has touched the ground. I would be suspicious about that, too. Well, Rick can't really judge. He won't eat dog food, even <laughs> if he's starving in a harsh short winter. So people got to have their standards. He understands that. Yeah, you're right. You're man, right. man has to have standards. Yeah, but it, it makes a lot of sense that he doesn't trust him. So then Gabriel takes him back to the church while he cracks some really poor taste uh, jokes. And then they reach the church. Rick groups, uh, Rick's group makes sure that it's clear before they go in. Uh, they look at all the, the churchy things that Gabriel's got sitting around, his his Jesus photos and all this stuff. <laughs> Jesus selfies. Yeah. <laughs> selfies. Me the Lamb of Hosts. <laughs> it's, uh, it's me and Jesus out on the town. Boom. Yeah. Selfie. Lot of pict- lots of drawings of burning bushes. Yep. Uh, lots of empty cans. Transcribing the Bible by hand. Yeah. It's he's, hardcore. Yeah. He's going pre-Gutenberg here. Uh, yeah, uh, baby Moses looking so happy to be abandoned down the River Nile. Yeah, so I was looking at those pictures, and uh, on the baby Moses picture, it says 40 years of wandering. I, most people probably know what that's about oh, from the Bible. Oh, they've been, that's the time lap, 40, 40 they've been... They've been slow-mo walking <laughs> for 40 years. That's really slow-mo. Yeah, it is. Um, and, and I was thinking about this when you line it up with the scratches, Ooh. On the windows, and you you think about like the writing on the church. You'll burn for this. Uh, he seemed to maybe know the walker in the water that was coming after him because sure. there's a picture of her. Yeah, or well, there's a picture of someone with those glasses. No, I, I, think I assume that's I, her. I think they're suggesting that's her. Sure. So it's not I, too much of a stretch. I build this story, this narrative in my head where that's dangerous. He has. He has turned people away from the church who may have wanted to, like, may have been part of the church and wanted to come there for sanctuary, come there for food, 
Um, it feels to me like he closed up church and said, go away. Yeah, that's... And kept all the food and supplies for himself. Those people went out to town, tried to get the supplies from the bank, ended up dead somehow. Yeah, I'm not sh- it, I feel like that you're probably on the right track, and I'm not sure how it's all going going down or went down. Um, I'm not sure. I, I They suggested that maybe those two had a relationship. They did, yeah. And they suggested also that Gabriel had some sins that he was not willing to talk about. Sure. Um, some potentially big sins. And they Almost every day. He, he makes a couple... He, he gets a couple good streaks going where, you know... Despite the fact that being alive, I think, is a sin, uh, <laughs> according to God, so... No, he, no impure thoughts? Come on. <laughs> Come on. No blat... No goddamns, even to yourself? Nope. No jerking mm-hmm. it? Nope. I don't buy it, Gabriel. That's suspicious <laughs> as shit. Yeah, so I, I have this narrative going in my head, and I have no idea if it's right or not, but that's kind of what I built up. Um, some of the people in this group seem to be disturbed by the churchy things, the, the selfies with Jesus. Others are pretty impressed, I think. Uh, Glenn uh-huh. sees a sign that basically says, be good to everybody. Uh, <laughs> and, and he is, uh, he's happy to see that. It, it reminds him maybe a little bit of what's good about Glenn. You know, Glenn's the one who wanted to save the people in the other train car. Yeah. Glenn's always kind of had a heart of gold. Uh, so he reacts differently to someone like Rick, who now does not give a shit. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what. Yeah, I wonder if they're, that's eventually going to cause a division among the group. Although, again, yeah. everybody seemed like they were united in their stonewalling of Gabriel. Like even Maggie. Yeah, Maggie might have had the hardest face of all. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, in this next scene after they clear the church, Abraham's, uh, you know, telling Rick there's a bus that they can fix up, and they they decide they need to go get supplies and. Everyone on the planet, every single person left alive in this apocalypse comes by Abraham and says, we're with Brick. Right. Uh, and they're, they're going to do what he does. Yeah. So I, I think you're right when he, he sees Abraham as a leader and he says, I need to pick the right time to convince this guy that everything needs to go to D.C. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have anything else to say about that, like fixing up the truck or, nope. or any of that? The okay. short bus. Yeah. Yeah, the bus. The only only appropriate conveyance for a man of Eugene's stature. I, yeah, apparently. Uh, so Rick questions how Gabriel survived so long. Um, he's sitting down with... Uh, or no, he's not sitting down. They're walking back to the food bank, I think. Out to the food bank. Uh, um, he says that there were some cans of food, and he cleaned out places nearby, except uh, this one place that is overrun. I guess they're not walking there yet, because they're talking about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, they decide they're going to go clear that place and get the supplies. And then Tyrese is supposed to stay back and protect Judith along with uh, Carl. He'll who's do staying anything there too. for Judith. Yeah, apparently. Unless it, I'm murdering an attacker of her. <laughs> That's the meatloaf. But I won't do that. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> uh, so Rick thanks him and he tells uh, Gabriel, you're coming with us. You're coming with us. You've seen me, how I react to walkers, right? No, you're coming with us. By the way, if uh, Father Gabriel is played mm-hmm. by Seth Gilliam, who was uh, Carver on The Wire. Yeah. A man who went through a lot of personal growth. Um, and, and I'm just really happy to see more Wire alums landing on The Walking Dead. And you're going to see less of one Wire alum well, by the end depends. of this episode. You know, a, a one-fifth less. We can do... Yeah. You yeah. know, one fifth of D'Angelo is still pretty good. I need yeah. to get Bunk. They're gonna find Bunk next. 
<laughs> that's that. That's let's see. Yep, and then they'll find McNulty face down drunk in a ditch. Right, Lieutenant Daniels. When you get him, can you imagine him? <laughs> uh huh. His severe ass walking on, so just like giving Rick a dressing down. Then we get Herc. Get Herc in there. Oh God. Uh, yeah. It'll be all good. Um. Anyway, so Rick sits Carl down and he tells him that he does not trust Gabriel, and, and as a matter of fact, he doesn't trust anyone. Right. Uh, Carl, Carl does trust Gabriel. He says everyone can't be bad. Uh, it seems like Carl is less jaded than his father at this point. Mm. Um, especially when it comes to helping people because Carl says, you know, yes, we're strong. We're actually strong enough to help people. Shouldn't we do that? Mm. And I, I don't know. Rick has really changed during this apocalypse and it's super evident. I thought, I thought it was interesting to see Carl do the rhetorical judo on Rick and yeah. pivot his argument onto its face. Cause there's, I mean, that's the interesting thing about this phase of the walking dead and, 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 you know, they're loosely following the comics, but this is the phase of Rick's group appreciating its strength and mm-hmm. starting yeah. to think, you know, what, what can we do with it? What are, what are our options other than running and hiding and fleeing all the time? Yeah, Gabriel says I'm I'm horrible around walkers. I I can't or or Eugene's like I'm not fleet of foot and all that stuff last episode and they're like we are. We are. We'll take care sure. of you, man. Right, right. We got this. Yeah. <laughs> you do your sciencey mullet thing. Overrun by over a dozen walkers. <laughs> we can handle a dozen walkers. Not yeah. even with our full group. Mhm. Uh we can have a detachment of our badasses take care of that. Yep. It's pretty cool. So then they're walking to town and Bob tells Rick uh not to let everything go. Uh, he gives this speech about um, when you push yourself uh, to let things go, then you end up letting go of more and more. And pretty soon, you can't get some things back. Sure. You can't get some parts of you back. I thought this was a great speech for Bob. The the sunny disposition of the apocalypse to be giving Rick, who is kind of the uh, exact opposite yeah. of that at this moment. I how, what do you, how do you feel about Bob Angelo's arc here? Like, he was such a dark character and tormented, and it seems like the healing power of Sasha's love has has brought him back to the sunny side. Yeah, and not being a so complete... glorious tan. Not being an alcoholic has probably helped him, too. Uh, I think... Oh, there's no cure for being an alcoholic, Jim. He's, he's one communion bottle of wine away from falling <laughs> off that wagon. I'm sure. I don't know. He, he seems very positive and has for a long time now. Um... I I don't have a problem with his change in demeanor. Uh, I thought it was it was well portrayed. Do you think that Rick ever is even open to the idea of the world returning back to way it, the way it was? No, it's evident in the discussion they have. Do you think that this is a direct this is a direct consequence of the prison arc? Yeah, like we tried. Mm-hmm. We tried to get things back. We let going. our guard down. We yeah, we tried to be real people. We tried to be farmers. Yeah. Uh now it's you know, hunt or be hunted. Why did Bob open that conversation with the somewhat cryptic statement of when you said those people don't don't get to live, you weren't wrong. But then he had yeah. a whole bunch of Pollyanna stuff. That was he well, saying I think... was that a warning like they don't get to live as if they're already dead? Like they're yeah. not authentically living? Yeah. And that's a consequence of letting too much of your humanity or go. Or once this nightmare is over, as he describes it, they're not going to know how to live anymore. You know, they've, they've killed themselves 
in relation to this this potential yeah. better world. So what do you, yeah, what do you do with a situation like the termites? <laughs> like, let's say that Eugene makes to Washington, he flips the switch, all the zombies dead, order is restored. You come to these can like, how in the world? I feel like you know the the, the world would have to be reset civilized. It'd be like the whole world's the wild wild west with all these yeah. little warlords and fiefdoms, and you'd have to conquer them. There's actually that's one of the most interesting parts of World War Z, the book. Yeah, uh, the fact that once that the spoiler alert, once the the zombies are all taken care of, that they actually there's a few like compounds in Denver and whatnot where uh-huh. warlords have taken over and they're not recognizing the sovereign authority of the United States government. Sure, yeah, uh, I don't know, don't know the answer to that. Um, so Daryl and Carol find a car during their water run. And Carol checks it out and says, oh, hey, it will run. We just need to charge it up. She leaves the charger in the trunk in case things go bad in town. Uh, do you think this is an outtake where Daryl's like, you want me to carry that? And he drops his water. Hmm, I don't know. It looked like it to me. Like they weren't supposed to be laughing about that, but like it, it just happened during the moment. And they decided to leave it in. Hmm. But Maybe why, I, I don't know why he would suggest to carry the water. I, I don't know. You could be right. There was another. Uh, he, has, he has his hands full for one. Sure. And he asks if she wants to carry There's the water. There's another commentator that suggested another scene later on might have been an outtake. In, hmm. uh, but we'll talk about that when we get there. Okay. So Glenn's scavenging. Uh, Maggie and Tara hear a noise inside, and Glenn comes out. Uh, admits to falling over a stack of boxes and a mop, and they kind of chuckle at him. And then step on a, two <laughs> separate rakes. Yep. yep. Uh, he did, however, find three silencers. So yeah. not a bad haul, I'd say. That uh, is, is, a, is a very nice post-apocalyptic weapon. Do you think those silencers are going to fit their guns? Uh, what are the likelihood? What is the likelihood of that? Well, that's an interesting question because most most uh, it's not like guns just come with silencer attachments. You usually have to tap and and thread thread it to, to or get it some sort of adapter. So. Huh. But this being The Walking Dead and me personally seeing them walking around with mag light, flashlights serving as suppressors, I bet they find a way. I bet they do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they will he, not need a machine shop or a gunsmith to pull that off. Probably not. So he comes out of the thing and he hands her the silencers uh, to Tara. And he's like, there's nothing left in this world that isn't hidden. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, logistically that works. That's cool. Um uh, everything's going to be rated except the stuff that the the people who weren't so careful about rating uh, didn't find. But you can also see there's a look on Tara's face, um, which says that she is worried about something. Do you know what is hidden? The burning love Tara has raging in her heart for Maggie. <laughs> for Maggie, yep. The love triangle begins. <laughs> is that where you think it's going? No, I, honestly, I don't. I thought that on the first view. I did, too. Because I'm like, yeah. oh, that's kind of schlocky. And maybe it will. Maybe it will. Mm-hmm. And they have kind of laid the bones for that because Tara does seem like she's fairly impetuous in love. Like yeah. she rolls into a camp. God, you're a pretty woman. Let's get, you know, uh, I cannot, I, I, I'm now going to stay with you rather than my sister and niece and whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I could see that. Mm-hmm. However, what I think is going on, if you remember last year or last, yeah, yeah, it was a whole, whole year ago. Mm-hmm. Well, whatever. Um, last season, Glenn and her talked about whether they should tell Maggie. And it's like, you know that dude, the silver fox, whose hair you cut off, or whose head you cut off? Yeah. That was her dad. Mm-hmm. So maybe keep it on the DL that you were the Udberry way, uh, 
Rup, yeah, uh, and 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 keep that to yourself. Uh-huh. And she's felt like she's starting to like this group. She's starting to like even Maggie. She likes them Not, way more than she liked the governor's group. And but but yet she knows she's got this secret, uh, you know, between them. And every time she catches herself wanting to fall in with this group, it kind of pulls her back. Yeah. I think that's the explanation for those looks, not not lust. I'm with you. I'm, that makes a lot more sense, honestly. Um, so the team enters the food bank. They find a hole in the floor where walkers are swimming around in the basement. And they decide they're going to go down and grab all the supplies. Uh, they're going to actually go into the basement in the water. Jesus Christ. Uh, to grab those supplies. Question. Uh, Glenn wasn't with them, was he? <laughs> no. Uh, no. Is Glenn with them? Glenn is with them. Glenn he's... is with them. Why didn't they just lower him down there? <laughs> Why risk everyone? Um, <laughs> man, What I would love to know mm-hmm. what Bob said when he said, if something could puke, this is what it would smell like. Oh, yeah. No idea. Uh, so anyway, I there's that. Tell. But uh, this plan, it just seems terrible because I just feel like you get a, a couple long sticks, some two yeah. before or something, and you either beat them in the head or you, you 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 wire or duct tape a knife to it and you bayonet them from remote distance. Yeah, you drop I, we heavy saw the things bayonet on, on Glenn's gun. Yeah, you you get a you, or like I don't know, get a. I, I could I could think we could we could brainstorm in five minutes a bunch of different ways a cinder block with a rope on it yeah you just drop it on their head pull it back pull up, it back up next it just assembly line style wily e. coyote these people yep uh, these walkers I. This again, it was a cool set piece, and the zombie. I don't. I don't even think the zombies are cool. We talked about this in instant cast. I think the zombies are cool. They look slightly off, but the waterlogged zombies cool. budget looks like they're one tenth of the other zombies. No, and I know that's not no, true. That's, it's just harder to make as like. What do you think a human body looks like that's been in water? I don't know. Like I've that's seen the thing. on I've ne- Jaws, like you know, I've yeah. seen bloated corpses that looked interesting. Okay. I don't know what a corpse that's been in the water for two years looks like. My suggest, my my guess is they would have disintegrated by now. Yeah, seems like it. But then you wouldn't have the set piece. So sure. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I don't know. I think the walkers were disgusting looking. Um, they were disgusting, and especially <laughs> and awesome the one, in that way. especially the one that that submerged and got Bob came up yeah. and, and oh, yeah. when he like destroyed its head in in a slow meticulous like layer peeling off process mm, that was yeah that was something else and even the way it comes out of the water just vomiting water like yeah. this gross disgusting water all yeah. over bob yeah it was horrifying the waterlogged <laughs> if a waterlogged zombie could puke that's what it would look like <laughs> <laughs> Uh, d- anyways, I I don't know why they're I mean, so bad with water walkers, and it's a ter- it's it's all around a terrible plan because yeah. they're putting the shelves loaded with food between them and the zombies. Uh-huh. Zombies are getting our zombies are are raking the food into the water. <laughs> yep. They're getting all their infected zombie blood onto the cans and mm-hmm. the, the the boxed goods. It just is a shit show all around. I agree. And then Rick's suggestion, arguably single handedly, led to the attack on Bob. He's Taking like, Gabriel down. No. Well, there's that, but I I understand if you think he's a threat, you do not want him up yeah, there where he you want him be, with you, where he could be dropping cinder blocks on you. <laughs> sure, um, but him this suggested that pushing the um, the shelf over. Yeah, it's like you got zombies you can see and you can fight. Now you got submarine zombies. Yeah, submarine zombies and all your supplies in the water. You got sea wolf class zombies <laughs> coming at your ankles. 
It's the trash compactor scene yeah. from Star Wars. It's not a good look, Rick. No. It's not a good look. Think that through for more than three seconds, please. Yeah, which I, it's unfortunate how much that undermines the badassness of this group to me. Like, they don't seem to think about what they're doing before they do it unless it comes down to just straight up murdering walkers. Like, if walkers are approaching, we're ready to kill them. But in any scenario where we have to think about the logistics of actually taking these guys out, they don't do it. They don't stop to think. Yeah, I I don't know. Maybe maybe there's no one that cares on that level. Like, Nick Taro, I feel like, is just thinking of inventive, crazy ways to kill zombies. Sure. And, and he's great and, at it. And... You know, say what you will about the man as a zombie craft or a filmmaker. I just don't think he gives a shit. Like, if you <laughs> talk to him about plot, he'd be like, what are you talking about? We're yeah. making cool zombies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Some, Maybe. And, and I don't think Kirkman, honestly, probably. Because it, it, the, the zombie action in, in Walking Dead comic books is just gross. And it, they're, they're not like a lot of set pieces. And the action isn't particularly well done. It's like, you know, hmm. some crazy shots of zombies getting killed. And, oh, my God, someone's getting bit. But there's not a lot of, like, thinking through in in terms of time and space. And I don't think he cares. So who in the executive staff is is committed to, okay, we've got a zombie here, we got a survivor here, we got a room full of random stuff. What's the most – What? how would a real human being behave? Yeah, they they – I feel like they know their audience, and they know that their audience wants to see spectacular zombie kills. Yeah. Wants to see – really disgusting looking walkers and that's all they care about and that's the thing they I, was, don't... I was listening to bill simmons triumphant return to podcasting after being kicked off by uh espn, ESPN for three weeks and he's a big fan of walking dead always has been and him and his cousin sal were just beside themselves like oh my god walking dead is so good right now it's so good right now so like i grant you walking dead is getting good yeah but these the the majority of the people the 18 you know, million people, 99.7% don't give a shit about the fact that these guys jumped into the water. Yeah. You know, in fact, they'd be like lame if they were probably, if you imagine like four people with poles, just poking zombies in the head. I, I know. Are, so are they rooting for these people to die? Or just, Partially. Yeah. No, like, they've, they've they're said just like, that. yeah, get in there, kill them, kill them. I, I want to see there's, you kill them. There's a big population that just wants to see mayhem and don't, and they then probably huh. could do with less drama. All right. Now you're probably right about that. So uh, we might be we might be trying to fight City Hall here, Jim. <laughs> we might be. <laughs> uh, so I, I don't know. While while they're down in this hole, they kill the walkers. Gabriel scrambles around. He attracts this very specific uh, walker with glasses. The librarian walker. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, risk then. Uh, Rick then risks everything to save this guy, uh, pushing all his supplies into the water, like you said. Bob gets attacked by a walker from beneath the water. Yep. And then Sasha saves him. What lies beneath. Uh, Like we said, really good stuff there. Then they go back up to the street, and they're pushing some supply carts along. Have you seen What Lies Beneath? No. Michelle Pfeiffer, Harrison Ford? No. Very great waterlogged corpse scene. That's what I think of water. Undead waterlogged corpse? Yes. Are you kidding me? No. Harrison Ford is in a zombie movie? In a manner of speaking, that's what I think a waterlogged or a waterlogged corpse is, not a plasticky melted face. Okay, I've never seen it, but I'll yeah. have to go check it out. 
so any, anyway, Gabriel refuses to tell Rick in this scene if he knew anything about the library walker. When does Rick just beat the piss out of Gabriel? <laughs> Soon. As like, soon as he realizes that Bob has been taken captive, like, probably. Like, I, I feel like Rick gets uh, this Rick in character. He gets back, sees the scratches, see you'll burn for this, and just like, yeah. okay, here's the deal. Do you see this? Do you see this python I've got in my hand? Uh-huh. I'm going to turn it around, handle first, and I'm going to beat you in the head until you decide to tell me what the hell is your deal. <laughs> and however many teeth it takes, however many broken eye bones, however many concussions, that's you're what you're going to go You're forgetting something. Through. Gabriel doesn't believe in violence, so he won't believe that the violence is going to happen to him. Uh, well, it was like, I don't believe in God, <laughs> but uh, if I went outside and I saw Yahweh written in, like, thousand-foot-high uh, fiery letters in the clouds, uh, I would become a believer pretty quick. Okay. He might not believe in violence, but as Rick's gun is bashing him in the face, I think he would turn into, he'd get religion. <laughs> he'd get that old-time religion. You're probably right. Probably right. <laughs> anyway, so they're back on the road. Uh, Rick asks Michonne if she misses her sword and how she got so good with it, and Michonne says, basically practice. Uh, but she wasn't actually living at that point in her life, and now she has people she misses, so that's living. Uh, the great scene with her. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Uh, she had some really good stuff in season four as well, and I think they've carried it over nicely. And these are all things, I think, that are tr- going into Rick's head, because I, I think Rick yeah, is undergoing yeah. a lot of transformation, and he's trying to relate to these people on this one level and they're like even people like badasses like Michonne who's been monosyllabic up until this point yeah are showing him like nah that's not kind of how we roll that's not how we're thinking about things sure uh so they get back and uh Rick goes up to Carl who has spotted some writing on the church wall uh says you'll burn for this and then he shows him uh some scratches on the window and stuff like that he says they're deep scratches like knives or something. Sure. Uh, so what do you make of this? I mean, we kind of talked about it. It does seem like there was a reverse Night of the Living Dead where a bunch of people were trying to get in. Yeah. Or maybe it's just one person or maybe it's a family that was left. I Sure. I don't know because it's hard for me to believe how a man that abhors violence can shut up a church where a determined group wouldn't be able to get in. Y- yeah, that's that's an issue. I mean, maybe it was just like a in the middle of a zombie horde, and but then, but then if they're in the middle of a zombie horde, they got who the time. Writes, You'll burn for this. Hold on, I'm almost. No, done, I feel Walker. like it would be like in Monty Python. It'd be like you, boy. Ah! <laughs> you know, it's just but yeah, they that wrote, carved up. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's good. Very good question. Very good question. Something that yeah. I'm sure we will not get the answer to. So probably not. Okay. Uh, so everyone feasts on some canned goods. Abraham gives a speech about why they need to go to D.C., and then he implores Eugene to back him up with some facts about D.C., which Eugene is more than happy to do. Sure. Lays out the doomsday prepper story for them. Uh, Rick agrees that they need to go there, and everyone follows him, of course. And then Sasha and Bob kiss a couple of times. Bob leaves. Uh, And then we get a a conversation between Tara and Maggie, which I thought was pretty good here. Uh, she admits to Maggie that she was on the governor's side of the prison battle and that she regrets it, and Maggie kind of hugs her and accepts her back into the group. 
And Tara's like, whoa, whoa, what's this hug bullshit? It's fist bumps with me. <laughs> fist bump or nothing. Yeah. This, you keep your hugs to yourself. This is Maybe she's germ conscious in the zombie apocalypse. Uh, I, I've, I've never done this reconciliation with two arms. Yes. I don't, I don't, I don't like, get it. What, do, do I keep my fist bald when I, when, when I encircle you with my arms? Am I supposed huh? to bump my own fist behind your <laughs> back? Is that what we're doing? <laughs> behind the back fist bumps? I don't... Um, Anyway, oh, the the, the previous uh, scene where, uh, did, did you skip past that about Abraham toasting the survivors and all that? No, 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 it's it's in there. That's when he, he's talking with, uh, telling Eugene to, to make the explanation okay, okay. for DC. Um, one of our listeners, Lisa, mentioned that she thought that Rick uh, ad-libbed that line about Judith. In in much the same way that oh. Brian Cranston famously used the 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 little girl who played Holly saying "Mama," yeah, as part of the scene that when she started, he just went on with that because I could buy that as sure. evidence. She said that it looked like Chad Coleman is like legit cracking up in the background. Yeah, yeah, that's the same thing with Melissa McBride in that water scene. Yeah. I thought she was legit laughing okay. too. So there, there you go. So maybe they got a couple of good outtakes. Walk dead fast use. and loose, loosey goosey <laughs> this year. Sure. Uh, so I like that everyone's kind of like Sasha and Bob are like nodding when they're talking about, you know, Abraham saying save the world for the little one um, in reference to Judith. And like I, two things went through my head. First of all, are, are they like, yeah, yeah, that's the way to get Rick to change his mind. Good job, Abraham. Uh, appeal to his child. Uh, or is it possible that they have a kid on the way? Maybe. Abraham and Rosita? No. Sasha oh, and Bob. Ma- Sasha and Bob. No. No? No. If you said Mag and, Maggie and Glenn. <laughs> Maggie and Glenn, yeah. Potentially. I don't uh, know. I don't know. I, I also really liked the the way they used the the kiss between Sasha and... Uh, and, and uh, Bob? Uh, goddamn Bob. <laughs> The, the the beginning of the episode was like a very fun and flirty and light thing and like Ty, yeah. Tyrese is eating it up too. Chad Coleman's back there wearing shitty. He's like shitty and grin full full time this uh, episode. Mm-hmm. And then they inverted that to show us that something was wrong. You know, before he went outside and like for the slower people to catch up, like oh, there's something wrong. He's he's sobbing piteously. I thought that was really good. That this is a man that might be kissing his woman for the last time. I was expecting him possibly just blow his brains out. Yeah, reveal go, a bite, go, or not, blow his brains just out. Just go out to the church courtyard and... Sure, he's he's clearly worked up. We'll talk, we'll talk about it in a little bit, but first uh, Rick goes over to talk to Gabriel, and uh, he thanks him for the wine, and then he warns him that he knows he's hiding something, and if what he's hiding hurts his family, as these people are, in any way, he'll kill him. In no uncertain terms, I'll kill you. That's right. He says, uh, you know, blood, pissing, you... <laughs> what? Uh, he's gonna beat him till he beats till he pisses blood. Oh, all right. <laughs> Is that a reference to something? No, I just for me earlier saying how how long before he beats the piss out of Gabriel. Oh, okay. I kind of went off on length he, about it. He just re ups his uh, his claim there. That's right. Uh, Carol's leaving. She's out by the car. She's gassing it up. She's charging it up. Uh, Daryl shows up, calls her out, says, "What are you doing?" do and she's like i don't know but before she has to explain herself a car speeds by with a cross on it daryl busts out the lights on his own car and they take off after him Mm -hmm. uh this is the car probably that took beth most likely one or or, 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 affiliated with them 
Yeah. The White Cross, dead giveaway. Yeah, that White Cross was tough to see the first time around. Mm. But in this episode, it's much clearer. Yep. Uh, I feel like that was on purpose. Yeah, They didn't sure. want us to totally know what's going on there. Daryl's busting out the taillights, and Carol's like, what? It's it's the headlights you need to worry about. What the fuck? No yeah, but- time, Carol. Get in. <laughs> yeah, you could just leave the lights off. It's on cars that are equipped with that. That's the annoying thing about cars nowadays. Oh, like, yeah, you, know, yeah. you try to pull in and be respectful to your neighbors. Like, you know, we live in apartments. I hate pulling in, like, but past midnight and just blasting them with beams right in their windows. Yeah. But you can't fucking turn your lights off with these cars nowadays. <laughs> these cars nowadays. Seriously. Like, I understand. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <sighs> Back in my day, you could turn the lights off on a car. It's a design flaw. Plus, you go into stealth mode, turn, you know, you're trying to evade the cops or whatever. <laughs> or whatever, or something. <laughs> Doing a drug deal at the middle of in, in the middle of a park at night, or I whatever. Mean, don't, don't don't these car designers think <laughs> of how the common man uses a vehicle? Uh, apparently not. What do you think? What do you make of Carol leaving? Or, or t- attempting to leave, which is what I think she was doing there. I thought her saying, I don't know, was telling. Yeah. Yeah, she hadn't thought it through. She was just like, I can't really handle this. She's like, I don't know if I'm leaving. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm doing. This just feels weird. Yeah. And I've been on my own for a long time. And when I didn't, wasn't on, uh, when I wasn't on my own, I ended up murdering children. And yeah. I got a lot of shit going on. <laughs> Man, sure. I hear you've run off of that hussy Beth <laughs> and... drinking moonshine and peach schnapps. <laughs> I feel like if anybody's gonna bring her back into the group, it's Daryl. Daryl's gonna have to be the one she... to talk her back. Sure. I mean, it's funny because Beth talked him back off of his ledge. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't I have no idea where they're going with this. That's something we debated since season two. Man, the Cherokee sure. Rose. What is going on with this relationship? Yep. Yep. Uh, so then we go to the final scene where Bob is outside in the dark by himself. He's apparently sad about something. We don't really know what it is. He gets bashed over the head by Gareth, and when he wakes up, Gareth goes on this incredibly long monologue about what it takes to survive, and then reveals that they are eating his leg. Yeah. Bob. Horrific. He he pulled the we got your leg stunt. <laughs> Bob fell for it. Super effective. Hook, hook, line, sinker. When you actually, you can really pull that when you actually have their leg, you yeah. can pull the got your leg. When you're eating their leg in front of them, yeah. By the way, the vast majority of this dialogue was straight out of the comic. Okay, cool. Um, they're, they're, he's making a case that says basically the world turned him into this, right? Yeah, and then more to the point, Rick, like we were yeah. at best, at worst, trappers, but now we're hunters. Yeah. We devolved further. We've evolved into termites or termites, and now we've evolved into hunters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they see themselves of having evolved into the termites, like you said. Eating people is a step up in his mind. J- I, just the the organization of it, the civility uh, in some ways of it. I I don't know. I I feel like hunting people down, like hunt, like you know, dangerous game style. Yeah. I don't know. He's just talking a bunch of cold I, smack. Yeah, I agree. He's he's making a case that no one is buying. Eating Bob Shanks <laughs> right in front of Bob is a low blow, Gareth. Sure. Uh, wh- Take your salon quality hair and get the fuck out of here with that shit. <laughs> so we talked about Bob's, uh, I guess, dilemma in this scene a little bit in the instant cast. 
um, where we kind of guessed what what Bob was crying about. Like, I think he got bit underwater. There's a very there's a very weird look he gives after that walker comes out of the water. Uh, after he kisses Sasha the second time, he goes outside. He's got a gun in his pants. Like, I don't think that gun is for protection. I think no, that gun seriously. is I uh, thought he, to blow his brains out. I was thinking he would go out and, and commit self-murder. <laughs> a lot of people are saying maybe it's he's not able to deal with the drinking. Oh, uh, fuck off. I call, I call complete bullshit on that. There's no... Th- that is not a reaction that that man would have to when you're watching a lot of other people, people you're talking about delusional people on Reddit. Sure. Okay, good. And there are a lot of them. So I said a lot of people. <laughs> I, I think that I, I do think that there's something to possibly be said about maybe he did try, you know, they get on it and maybe he did fall off the wagon. He's feeling bad about that mm-hmm. or that he's put such a happy face on that. He was kind of fraudulent about that. Uh, but I, I think it's still pretty clear to me that something happened yeah yeah i don't i don't know why else you go outside in the dark by yourself uh in this world unless you are extremely distraught uh and ready to probably end it we've got a lot of interesting email takes on that okay so um but but it plays into this final scene and we talked uh you know a little bit about that as well in the instant cast where if and this discussion is all over Reddit as well. If he was in fact bitten and they ate his leg, would that do anything to Gareth and his crew? I have no idea. My guess is no. My guess is no, that doesn't matter because the way I've seen it happen in this series is that everyone is infected. We know that for a fact, uh, according to Jenner anyway. Sure. Yeah, so if you believe that, then they already have whatever virus is causing this plague inside them, mm-hmm. and it is obviously not killing them. And someone on our Facebook page speculated there's two viruses, one that's carried with everybody and one that's activated by a zombie bite. I don't even think you need that. Uh, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't think there's any evidence of that. If there was, that Here's, was something that they could... I mean, that's what the CDC episode is all about, giving us zombology lessons yeah. and... You know, the big secret takeaway, maybe maybe he had two things he whispered in Rick's ear. <laughs> you know, everyone's uh-huh. infected. And then Rick bug eyes bug out. Also, there's two strains. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Here. So don't try this, but go try this. Rub. T- take a big handful of a corpse of, of rotted, <laughs> no, of rotted flesh. Uh, pierce your skin and rub the, the, the goo into your wound. Nope, not going to do it. That will cause a nasty infection. Sure. And if left untreated, that infection will kill you. Sure. That, in my opinion, is what happens with the walker bites. Yeah. They're like, they they're they like, bite and or scratch you. The flesh gets inside your body, causes an infection. You die. Then the virus kicks in, and you become a walker. Sure. Um, no, I, I'm totally in agreement. Now, the other thing that I would like to know is... Because obviously zombies are physiologically impossible. Okay. Uh, they and so they're kind of like supernatural into that. You know, they've got a viral scientific explanation, but there's just no way that would actually happen. So they're, these operate beyond the laws of science as we know them. However, as far as I know, there's no virus that I'm aware of that can survive. You know, four or five hundred degrees, or however a well cooked. 
you know, like I, what is it? Uh, I think what? it's like one sixty. It's not. No, that's yeah, like one eighty like, internal temperature, what, something around there. Yeah, the, the the thorough cooking kills pretty much every pathogen. Yeah. So, are they saying that this this virus is so hardy? If 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 Gareth and his crew get get secondarily infected by Bob, and it wouldn't be a super zombie infection, it would just be a regular old run of the mill infection. Yeah. Uh, is it gonna? I mean, if it survives a cooking process, that's super interesting. Yeah, I don't know what that would tell us about this virus. Yeah, that, that there's just no way to kill it. I I don't know. Uh, I also had a hard time believing that Bob would not. Bob must have the world's worst case of tunnel vision because sitting on my couch watching this episode, mm-hmm. well in my periphery vision were both of my legs. <laughs> The fact that he he sits through two, three minutes of monologuing and doesn't notice that his leg is gone is really dumb to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I will strike that up to cinema, to artistic license and that he was concussed. And I don't know how. I mean, he wasn't making like, for example, Morpheus is being interrogated by Agent Smith and the Matrix. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, his eyes are rolling back in his head. Like, Morph- or, I mean, Agent then, Smith is all about grabbing his head and telling him things, but I don't think anyone's home, right? Sure, So yeah. I, I kind of got that impression with But then as soon as Lawrence he mentions there. it, as soon, as soon as Gareth looks down at his leg and says something, says something slightly coded, Bob goes, oh, yeah, my leg's gone. Ugh. Yeah, it's, like I said, dramatic license. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's about it. Uh, there's well, let's talk about the symbol on the tree. Yeah, sure. I'm sure we have feedback about this. We do. Um, okay. Do we want to save it for then? Pro- yeah, I think so. Yeah, because else right. we're just going to. I mean, you you know what? Let's just I'll just scroll down and grab it. Um, okay. And so I can give credit to who sent us in because uh, this is not an un an uncommon uh, theory. Uh, but George S. Uh, sent us in a um, information about the hobo code. This is not the first guy to send this in, by the way. Uh, uh, right after the episode last week with the circle and the X mm. on the tree, somebody sent me. Uh, I think his name's Roach, Joey Roach, maybe. Uh huh. It sounds like a good name. <laughs> uh, sent me this link on Twitter. So, uh, but it's the hobo code, and that was yeah. also featured prominently in Mad Men. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a real life thing where vagrants would put codes uh, on signposts, doorposts, uh, nearby trees to identify the types of persons living on a proper property that like, uh, you know, beware of police. There's a dangerous dog. This person gives food. This person's a minister. So he might give you food or money or, or play up your religious angle to get, it's like, so it's the things that they kind of like a, a hidden, a hidden map to help a, a, a fellow traveler navigate the world. Um, the X with the, the circle with the X through it is signed for good place for a handout. Mm-hmm. And they also said that the, the, the line with the little curly Q hanging off of the, the, the right side indicate that it might be doubtful or for any help or supplies. I looked at these symbols and I think that the circle X is a rough correlation at best. I did not see I did not see the second symbol anywhere on that page. Just a straight up line? No, line with the thing hanging down off of it. There's a thing hanging down yeah, off of it? Yeah, it was like an L rotated ninety degrees counterclockwise. Oh, all I saw was a line. And okay. there is just a line. What's just on that line? chart? Doubtful. Okay. But again I thought it it looked like a an L rotated. 
hmm. counterclockwise. So, but you know, I I could be wrong, and it could be hobo code. Uh, if so, my thing is, what who? Not everyone knows hobo code. It's not like you sure. got the internet to look it up. No. So who is doing this? Hobos. Eli from Boardwalk Empire. It's <laughs> it's significant, obviously, to Morgan. Uh, apparently, yeah, he sees it. He takes his mask off. To sure. Get a better look. Yeah. Um. I, I. So we got some feedback. Uh. In addition, this guy was just bringing it to our attention. Um. And okay. uh, we can talk about his theories when we get to that part. Yeah. Well, I think we're we're ready for some feedback, aren't we? Uh. Well, we need to pay some bills first. Okay. Jim. I'm blown away by the generosity of our listeners because you and I were going to start working on forum preparation this week because we're like, you know, we're 150, uh, almost 200 bucks away. We got a couple weeks, maybe even a month before we'll get there. Uh, Thursday during our Lunch with Jim and Aaron feature where we're carving pumpkins and stuff, uh, which you could check out if you're a Patreon member, uh, we got we just went over it. It completely caught us by surprise. And uh, now we've got the forums going live as a direct result. We're going to have uh, user forums where you can participate. You can interact with Jim and I. You can do the live watches. You can talk with your fellow fans. You can create your own topics if you want to talk about television that you know you don't have to be beholden to what I happen to remember to create every night on Facebook. You can talk about your CW shows. You can talk about the Arrow <laughs> and the Flash. Uh, we're we we're pretty excited about that. We bought the software yesterday. We're configuring it over the next couple of days. We're hoping to have it um, up and ready by next week. Mm-hmm. And uh, pretty excited about the Arrow Bald Moose starting. If you want to find out what's next... Uh, which is there's some synergy. We're at the next level. If we can raise $1,000, we're going to be doing each month a community-sourced custom podcast. Uh, if you want to see what that looks like and uh, our plans for that, you can go to patreon.com slash baldmove to find out all the stuff that you can get, all the access. Uh, do not do not forget about subbable.com slash baldmove because now we got the forms unlocked. we got some plans for some new reward levels to do some crowdsourced custom podcasts over there as well. Um, plus it's got a bunch of unique rewards that you can't get anywhere else. Also, uh, amazon.baldmove.com, great way to support us. If you're shopping, if you're doing your Christmas shopping, uh, if you need a last minute Halloween costume, prime shipping is there to get it to you in two days. Check that out. We get a tiny cut. We'll just make Bezos scream. Really? That's all we want to do. He called and threatened us this week, said he's going to shut us down if, if, and, and, uh, and not give us his pennies. Uh, but we said fuck off, and and he he is forced to give his opinions. <laughs> the anguish of that man's voice as he hung up the phone, <laughs> yeah. unreal, unreal. Yeah. No, he was weeping against a tree. Uh, it was a video call. Honestly, he could keep the pennies. The anguish in his voice was almost payment enough for me. <laughs> uh, leave us rating reviews on iTunes. Another great way. Share stuff on social media. Uh, we appreciate everything that you do to support us. Uh, we mean that from the bottom of the heart. The reason we can do this and do all the expanded month of the dead coverage, which. By golly, we got a ton of it. Yeah, we got. Uh, we're we're playing episode three of season two of the Walking Dead video game. Four, yeah, four yep. tonight, uh, seven o'clock on uh, ES uh, Eastern Standard Time. You can catch all of our previous playthroughs starting from season one, episode one, on YouTube.com/slash BaldMove, and we're playing this on Twitch.tv/slash BaldMove. Uh, you can get a couple of the episodes there. Uh, last few weeks worth. We're, you're doing the the zombie movie reviews. Mm-hmm. 
all this stuff is possible because you guys are helping to support us. So yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Are we ready to get into feedback? I think so. If you'd like to give us feedback, you can do so at watchingdead at baldmove.com. Here is a selection from the feedback bag. Dan S. said, uh, noted a episode description in the little synopsis that's on amctv.com for this for last week's episode. Uh-huh. Uh, the description at the end, when it describes Morgan's appearance, said, Months after Rick's escape from Terminus, a masked stranger marches down the railroad tracks. He stops to see the Terminus sign Rick has modified and hangs his head. He removes his mask and reveals it's Morgan. Months, Months later. It would be nice to know that for sure. It would be nice to have a sense of time and place. Wh- yeah. So why my- would they put that in the description of the episode and not inform us as a view- as viewers? Maybe they tried to. Maybe they tried to and we just didn't get it. Maybe the slow-mo walking was months. Maybe <laughs> they're flashing forward to Morgan. Uh, and we're still in present day, but Morgan is months Well, that's what I'm saying. Away. It's like if like, we're not meant to understand the passage yeah. of time yet, although it there's a lot of fucking really good questions like, uh, oh, you know what? And we completely skipped over the whole Chad being a lying scumbag. Uh, not Chad, rather. Chad's a nice guy. We can talk uh, about Tyrese. Uh, there's <laughs> yeah. some feedback on it, but I... I so confident in her feedback, I forgot to mention it in the show. Okay. Um, I, it's, you know, like, Gareth looked like he got shot. That guy got beat up. And, he, and I, on my second and third watches, I did notice that he looked like he had been beating, hat beaten yeah. the, the, the hat-chewing-gum guy, but he had healed somewhat. Yeah, maybe. But anyway, I, I just, I, if, if we're not supposed to know, I'm it's curious that they put that in the synopsis. Mm-hmm. Faye from L.A. said, Carol didn't want to turn uh, the, get, give, didn't want the watch back because it was given to her by her abusive douche canoe husband, Ed. She tells Rick that back in the season, in the episode Indifference. Mm-hmm. By the way, Ed, the guy who played Ed, was hanging out at the VIP party. Yeah. Lost a ton of weight. Bunch Almost of Almost didn't recognize him. We're like, I know this guy's famous because people are <laughs> flocking around him. And I can remember his face from something. Yeah, he looks from... Oh, right. Right. That's the guy Shane beat the shit out of. Yeah. Anyway, um... I also think that Rick's apology to Carl is more than a mere let me say whatever I have to say in order to keep the group together. He was genuinely acknowledging that he too was wrong for making the unilateral decision to banish her. Rick taking shared responsibility was nice to see. And finally, please tell me they had someone on the lookout while they were chowing down in the church. Please. Because if not, I'm calling bullshit. Has this group lot left uh, learned nothing? Maybe Bob was a lookout. <laughs> Cinnamon twos. Groups of twos, people. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what killed Andrea's sister, Amy. Yeah, I think Bob just went out there by himself. No, they apparently didn't have a lookout. That's a point I made in my book, by uh, the way, that you can find out about at book.baldmove.com. You see how I slyly snuck that in? <laughs> like, if if only Amy had someone that gave a shit about her. Yeah. Like, maybe her sister, who had the loaded gun on her at all times, to mm-hmm. accompany her on her in-the-dark pissing expedition... She would still be with us. We'd still have her and her skinny white jeans. That's the problem, man. All of our lookouts are dead. Daryl's dead. Or, I'm sorry, Dale's dead. Which uh, points out Andrea's the need for dead. more lookouts. <laughs> Andrea's dead. Lookout is, uh, unless you're going to put somebody good on lookout position, you might as well not. Yeah, and Daryl's too good for lookouts. Yeah. He's too busy collecting his uh, his squirrel suit. Mm-hmm. 
Karen A. said in opening credits, they show the red-handed machete in Rick's bag. In this episode, we see it on Bob's waistband, which now means it's in the leftover termites camp, sealing Gareth's fate to be killed by Rick with that very weapon. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Do you think he's going to, like, Rick's going to come in and pull it off of uh, Bob's corpse? Is Bob going to do it for him? Is Bob going to deny him the red nah. machete kill? Nah, Bob, Bob is not going to get that opportunity. I feel like Bob's going to die, but... I think Rick is going to use that red machete to uh, to hack him to pieces, yeah. All right. Michelle K. said, Who, including Daryl, could argue with Carol's decision uh, to kill Lizzie after she killed her own sister in a psychotic manner in which she did? Carol was only trying to protect not only Judith, but possibly Tyrese and anyone else whom Lizzie could shoot point blank with a weapon if she were to acquire one. This action was an obvious contrast to her preemptive killings of the sick people who could die and become walkers, which was indeed a morally questionable decision as no one knew if the sick people were going to die for sure or get well and overcome their sickness. Um, she's talking, she's arguing about why Carol's hesitant to tell Daryl about this particular story. Mm-hmm. She says, it continues, if anything, and maybe this is the shipper coming out of me, it seems that Carol may be afraid of her feelings towards Daryl becoming any more than friends. Maybe she doesn't want to get too close. So she's piecing out of Dodge while she still has a chance. She's still seen too much death and has to, made, has, had to wait, has had to make way too many tough decisions. So is leaving before she has a chance to get too close to anyone. Who knows if this will change when and if they find Beth. But for now, it seems that Carol is hardening herself towards anyone getting close to her. Just my two cents. Your mileage may vary. Do you think that her feelings towards Daryl is influencing the behavior of Carol? Yeah, yeah, I feel like it definitely could be. Um, she has kind of become accustomed to not uh, having to worry about how her actions are going to affect the people in her group, right? I I don't know. It's a new thought for me, man. I don't know. I, I definitely think that could be the case. I also kind of in, I share her confusion about why she's so shy about talking about this, or even Tyrese. Well, I felt like it was to protect Tyrese in that moment, yeah. but I don't know. Rachel H. says, for the first time ever, I feel confident about The Walking Dead. After season 4.5, especially the finale and the season 5 premiere, I'm optimistic about the new Gimple area. Uh, the, the what? The, the Gimple new, area? The new Gimple era. <laughs> okay. Season four questioned whether or not you could come back from the horrible things you've done, and I think season five's expanding on that question include who or what are you now? Are you the butcher or the cattle, the hunter or the hunted, the survivor or the savior, etc.? At any rate, I'm looking forward to seeing them on the road. This show is more interesting and dynamic when they're moving and encountering new people and situations. We already have numerous new allies and foes. The only thing that worries me is between Rick's group, Abraham's group, Father Gabriel, the termites... Beth Nappers and Morgan, the cast is swelling the Game of Thrones proportions, and that show can get disjointed trying to sh- juggle its massive cast and storylines. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Um, I think maybe the road solves a lot of that because you just keep moving. Um, but I, yeah. I've said for a long time, this show will get really interesting and good when it actually has the courage to stay on the road for a while. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Um, I, I feel like the termites are not going to last very long. The, the way they so swiftly dealt with Terminus itself, um, I, f- I feel like they're going to be dealt with in the next couple of episodes, maybe. Could be. Um, Jake T has a theory. This may sound far-fetched, but would it make any sense if Gabriel's working with Gareth and company? 
We know Gabriel has a secret and Gareth was spying on the group. Do you think that maybe Gabriel was used by Gareth to give the group shelter so the termites can slowly pick them off? I'm also wondering if Bob did get bit and the termites eat him, will that really affect them at all? I thought everyone was already affected. We've already dealt we've already dealt with that. Uh what do you think of this theory, Gabriel and Gareth? Yeah, that's an idea that's been floating around inside my head, but I'm not convinced of it. I don't see how it, it works. Yeah. If they've been on the road how these guys could leapfrog them. Find Gabriel, unless Gabriel has been working for them the whole time. Cause well, that's what I was thing. wondering, yeah. We know they haven't left the general area. Yeah. Because what, where the hell else would these cross cars be coming from? Cross cars? Yeah, the Beth, oh, Beth oh. Nappers, as this person eloquently puts it. Yeah. I uh, don't know. Um, other points, does Maggie even care about Beth? Has she discussed her whereabouts with Daryl at all? <laughs> I would like to know the answer to that question. Yeah. Part part of catching up in the train car was not revealing any information about Beth. Uh, Nathan P. said, I didn't think it was possible to go back on a half season of character development, but this episode just did that to Tara in one fist bump. <laughs> Why would you put Tara back in that ridiculous situation of having to fist bump everyone for no reason again? <laughs> That's who she is, man. She's never changed. She's always been fist bump. Hmm. In other news, this is the first episode since the mid-season finale of season four that both had Judith present and also did not put her life in danger yet again. So far since the attack on the prison, the poor baby has been nearly suffocated by a crazy girl, whilst nearly being eaten by walkers, Mm -hmm. then nearly stabbed by that same crazy girl to make her a zombie, Mm -hmm. then both strangled and nearly stabbed by a terminite, or termite if you prefer, before being saved by the super nanny squad of Carol and Tyrese. Uh, for these occasions, can you see a prevailing theme Prevailing theme here? I can't help but feel that if this baby actually managed to grow up, she might have some brain damage from the constant uh, lack of oxygen and or a fear-slash-obsession with stabby-stabby objects and the infamous knife game. Yeah. Yeah, she's been put in a lot of danger, hasn't she? Th- this is what I've been saying. <laughs> I know. It's a fucking emotional jukebox. They just keep on hitting it, and it plays, and yep. I'm worried. Rich S. said, I don't need to see it every time, but I'm begging, begging for some sort of policy on people coming and going. I think it's a requirement to have a buddy system to handle daily bathroom trips, and every time you leave the group, you provide a reason and check out, check in. Survival 1-0-F-1. It isn't nine-year-old Carl wandering. If it isn't, this isn't nine-year-old Carl wandering off once an episode <laughs> bad, but still pretty annoying. How does Bob end up alone outside crying? Yeah, how is Carol a mile away from camp with only Daryl giving a damn? No one notices Daryl following Carol, and all this goes on within minutes of Abraham's glorious ass-kicking announcement of them as the best of the survivalist. What the fuck? <laughs> Fair points all around. Fair points. Uh, you should write a survival guide, Rich. <laughs> how how does Bob get outside without anybody knowing or caring? Yeah, like like Rick Sasha, is sitting staring going? at the door. That door is the creakiest. It's like a huge creaky ass church door. Yeah, There's it sounds no like way. Grandma's pantry opening every time you open that thing. I, yeah, I don't know how he ended up outside by himself. And how people are just completely oblivious. P.S. On our point is Daryl as Super Tracker. Rich says, I'm not sure how Gareth covered his spy tracks enough to fool Daryl, mm. but it's a good thing that he's off on a wild I want a goose Maggie's jailbait sister chase, because I'd call bullshit if Daryl couldn't track them dragging off Bob. Very good point. Yeah. I don't care how good your woodcraft is. You can't fucking drag Bob to the woods <laughs> and not have it be pretty fucking obvious. What if you're swinging from trees, man? <laughs> 
and have a cloaking device. Yeah. If Gareth pulls his spine out <laughs> <laughs> as a trophy, then then we'll know. Okay. Good. That will all make sense. George S., I have two separate theories for um, this episode. One, the termites. Oh, this is on the hobo code. Okay. He's the one that's mailed it into us. He goes, one, the termites use these symbols to lure people to their camp and then eat them. Uh, two, Father Gabriel marked the trees and lured people away from the church and towards the cannibals. Churches are refuge for the homeless, and those markings would have had to have been created by someone who had seen them before. Ooh, Father Gabriel, naughty, naughty. That's the thing, though. I, You're absolutely right when you say that nobody actually knows what these things mean. We don't really have hobos anymore, do we? No. Uh, certainly, certainly we do have hobos. We have homeless people. They're everywhere. Well, I'm talking we about the so ones that ride the rails are... with, the, with the poles, with the little yeah. napkin tying their food bags together. Sure. That Like, the hobo code isn't a real thing. I mean, I guess I need to start looking in urban areas, because maybe they are still using I feel that. like it is. Uh, but the, the point is, no, no one, like the vast majority of the population, doesn't have any clue what those even are. Sure. Or wouldn't even know how to spot them if There's they did. There's not enough hobos left alive in this world. That's the trouble, yeah. To to make luring them in a, a workable framework. Although they did set up shop in the middle of a junction of train tracks. Maybe they're smarter <laughs> than we give them credit for. That's true. The few Maybe remaining so. hobos are going to be riding the rails, right? They're going to stick yeah. to what they know best. You're absolutely right. Um, Murbrowski says, hey there, I have a theory about the markings on the trees. I reckon the hunters marked them so they know where they've been, it's, and that's what Morgan is using to track them down and the rest of the group. Maybe or uh, maybe he has found out somehow about what they do and he's after them, or may simply be following the tracks to find people again. Yeah, so if they're using them for internal communication and everyone has been briefed on the hobo code, yeah. that I could see, sure. I also like the fact that so Morgan is big into clearing his town. Yeah. He clears out the town. Okay. He definitely clears. And he's walking down and he, he gets wind of this place that's luring people in to kill them. Mm-hmm. That's something Morgan cannot abide. If he clears a town full of zombies, he's going to fucking clear Terminus. Yeah, but he doesn't. Well, I'm just saying that maybe he's actually, he's, he's, he's trying to do this. He's, he's, that's his new mission in life. To track Maybe them Morgan down? saves him from the uh, from the hunters. Maybe he comes swooping in to save Bob next episode. Ooh, I I don't know, man. I don't know how it all lines up. Like I said, we we have the problem with the timeline that we're not sure about. Uh, Tara QC says, "How appropriate that the crew found a damn short bus to drive the mulleted idiot back to DC." <laughs> Uh, she says, however, buses use a lot of gas, even short ones. Mm, what yeah. is the state of gas in the world two-ish years into the Zompoc? Gas loses effectiveness after a while at a minimum. More importantly, I think by now, abandoned on-road cars and gas stations have all been sucked dry. As time goes on, I'm feeling like I have to call some bullshit on cars still running. You're exactly right, Tara. Like, if you don't take steps to stabilize fuel, um, even if it's viable for, for a car to, to burn... What happens is that fuel gums up and varnishes the fuel injectors and the carburetors and turns to jelly in the fuel lines. And I think it's safe to say two plus years into the Zompok, most of fuel is going to be only good for burning bodies and lighting fires. But the exception (laughs) of that is diesel fuel, which I understand Ah. is a lot more chemically stable. And that that can last for a long time, like a decade or more. 
Yeah, and, and fat fryers at McDonald's. You just go in, you <laughs> scoop it out, you put it in your engine, you're good. Um, but yeah, for as far as gasoline, I, I think that's just something we're supposed to conveniently ignore. Yeah, I think so. Um, but anyway, Alex M. said, I'm really impressed with Andrew Lincoln this season. The navel-gazing angst of the Lori days is a distant memory, and his reticence to lead from last season has given way to a pragmatic leader who's equal parts softy and savage. Rick telling Gabriel that he's good as dead if Gabriel's secrets hurt the group, or Cooley telling Garrett that he's going to kill him. With a machete, is just as believable right. as Rick laughing and smiling, saying that he'll go wherever Judith goes. In each situation, the other side of him is just under the surface. He'll tear out as many throats as he needs to keep his new family safe. Andrew Lincoln is doing an incredible job playing the character who has been through too much to let his guard down, but understands the need to embrace the good things while he has them. Hmm. Yeah, someone last week said they can't imagine rick portrayed by anyone but andrew lincoln at this point and <laughs> uh he's really good yeah he's done a great job uh it's interesting it, it seems like his personality definitely has been distilled and i am very impressed with the way they've done that uh he continues i really hope the writers expand the kind of drama they're willing to explore this season by bringing in some tension between pre and post-apocalyptic worlds even if 90% of the population has been wiped out, it's still conceivable that after two-plus years of roaming around the same general area, you would encounter someone you knew pre-apocalypse. How interesting would it be to see the characters encounter a survivor from a rival group who they knew before the shit hit the fan, and be faced with the choice to kill them or let them live? For a moment, I thought that's where they were going with the Mary and Carol showdown from last week. But what <laughs> we got still was great. I hope they explore this possibility at least a little bit before leaving Georgia. Are you down for Rick running into... That asshole from the homeowners association that made him paint his mailbox white when he wanted to paint it black. Uh, Are you into Glenn meeting the high school bully that beat him up when he was in chess club? Uh, no, <laughs> no, not really. I don't know if they do it right, maybe, but that seems far fetched considering how far they're they're moving at this point. Like, if they go to D.C. and they meet people they know, how's that going to happen? Well, I mean, that's the thing. He's he's saying it's got to happen while they're still in Georgia. It doesn't work at all. Yeah. So, uh, MJ says, regarding the group's stupid decision to leave the Terminus folks alive, clearly they should have gone back if only to gather supplies. As mentioned in this episode, supplies are scarce, and they know Terminus was well-stocked with basic food. Well... I assume they had some canned food or something to complement their meat dishes. Oh, boy. Basic metal supplies and more weapons. I don't know that they would have to have food because isn't that the thing? Like, if you eat meat, you pretty much are getting an entire nutrition. I don't know if that's totally true, but... I thought I read that. Like, there's some types of re meat, like rabbits. You can't just live off rabbits because mm -hmm. then you get rabbit starvation, which I don't know what the hell that is, but this it's is, something. I think they just lack some sort of nutrient. They're that... missing some kind of proteins that humans need to survive. Yeah. Um, but I've heard that like you just eat, you can just fucking eat cows and shit, cows and shit. That's nutrition. Uh, the four food groups should just just be a pyramid of of all cow. It's not a pyramid. <laughs> it's it's much as it's squared. It just says cow. Yep. It's good. I don't know anything it. about what you can or can not survive on, so uh, I don't feel like I'm qualified to talk about this. If you're eating people, though, people uh, have all the nutrition that people need in people. Like they're fat, let alone because that's like if you start starving, mm -hmm. your body processes fat and it break everything in fat breaks down into the things you need to keep living. And if you have enough fat, you will live. So it seems like you just eat, get a well marbled specimen, like Bob, for like, example, like Eugene, like Eugene, mm -hmm. and uh, you're fine. 
Am I, am, am I wrong? I, I honestly don't know. If you're a cannibal nutritionist out there, would yeah. you please send us an email? Yeah. Tell us about the long pork. Um, anyway, I like that they at least Rick thought about these things and brought them up before being overruled, and I can see even the more hardened group members having reason to just move on. I think this may be why Carol wanted to leave. Carol knows it's uh, what's up better than anyone. She knows damn well that boozy potlucks in a church and getting dragged down by a bloated parade of babies, autistic mullet heads, recovering alcoholics, and cowardly priests is a bunch of bullshit. She also knows that Rick showed weakness by not insisting that they kill determinist assholes. Hell, maybe she even respects Rick less for letting her back in. Oh, man. (laughs) That'd be a turn of... uh... That would be cold. That would be cold, Carol. You put up a fight when Rick banishes you. A a little bit. A little bit she put up a fight. Now you come back and you're mad that he's letting you back in? Come on. Uh, Bubba said, even if I told... uh, He's quoting the book of uh, Eugene here. Even if I told you... Or wait. Even if I told you all... Even if I provided step-by-step instructions complete with illustrations and a Uh well-composed fact on how to win... Uh, the cure will still dry with me. Doth thy mullet protest too much and suggest that the cure is in him? I Was he perhaps bitten and not turn? Yeah. Wait, immune. oh crap, never mind. That's a weak-ass storyline from that other zombie show, <laughs> Z Nation. Okay, sure. It's, uh, also the, it's also the plot for the much more wildly successful and artistically with merit uh, franchise, The Last of Us. Yeah. So I, I, that would be interesting. I don't think that's where they're going with it, though. I really don't. Um, he he seems to have some sort of knowledge that is going to save them, not an immunity. All right. Uh, this is the last email that we're going to read, and then we're going to have uh, some, some other stuff and then a spoiler section. Um, but it's kind of long, but I can't resist a challenge. Uh, last week we talked about the zombie draft that Jim and I did back in our old Blue Yonder days. <laughs> yeah. Rusty went back and listened to that episode, and he has a challenge uh, that he is uh, he's drafted the most badass. First, I think he cheated. He, he picked ten people. I think we picked seven, because that's, that's the way we do on Blue yeah, on, on Yonder. Hmm. Um, the challenge, pick a team of ten fictional characters. He did say ten. Maybe he's right. Ten fictional characters from television or film to help you survive the zombie apocalypse. Rules. No robots, no androids, no aliens, no superpowers. Uh, characters must be human from Earth, existing in present day or the past. No future tech, such as phasers, lasers, lightsabers, or tricorders. Bonus points for character diversity in age, gender, race, etc. Bonus points for zombie experience. Uh, his, his, uh, in, in no particular order, or I guess it's in numeric order. Uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> number 10, Angus MacGyver from MacGyver, played by Richard Dean Anderson. Except for his distrust of guns, MacGyver is the perfect teammate for zombie apocalypse. He brings an amazing agil- ability to improvise weapons, traps, and other useful items using scarce resources. He's proficient in multiple languages, an avid outdoorsman with skills including snow skiing, outdoor survivalism. MacGyver's most used item is his Swiss Army knife. I believe... I think one of us picked him, yeah. I think you might have picked him. I might have picked him. Number nine, B.A. Baracus from The A-Team, played by Mr. T., Staying with 80s television, B.A. for Bad Attitude is a mechanical genius. He also has had one of the worst conduct records in the Army, a tough and rough fighter. He is known for his trademark African Mandinka warrior hairstyle and for his gold jewelry. He's a highly skilled mechanic and has an amazing talent for making oppressive machinery out of just about any ordinary parts. Solid. He also has a lot of fat. 
so he could probably uh, survive well for a while. Yeah, Mr. T has a lot of fat. Uh, yeah, he's got fat. I pity the fool. He's he's built, but he's got fat. He's like an Abraham. <laughs> you don't know him in his prime. You're right. You're right. I'm thinking of him in his probably like, look 50s at him or in Rocky 60s. Three for Christ's sake. Yeah, That's no, a specimen. He's, he's fucking ripped to that. Yeah. Number eight, Hit Girl, <laughs> aka Mindy McCready from Kick Ass, played okay. by Chloe Grace Moretz or whatever the hell her name is. Mm. Every team needs a token teenager, but this girl brings hardcore badass. She's been trained in hand-to-hand combat and fighting with both blunt and bladed weapons. She's also been trained in all things gun-related. Famous quote, okay, you cunts, let's see what you can do now. Number seven, (laughs) Oliver Queen from Arrow, played by Stephen Amell. Silent and deadly, the archer is a staple of post-apocalyptic combat. Queen is a former billionaire playboy who has marooned on an island for five years. He's learned martial arts and became an expert archer. Number six, Alice from Resident Evil, played by Mia Jovovich, a former security operative of the Umbrella Corporation turned anti-umbrella resistance fighter. Transformed by the T-Virus, Alice gains enhanced strength, reflexes, and psychic powers. Bonus points for zombie experience. Granted. That is borderline superhero. Borderline. She has superpowers. I don't know that I would allow that one if this were the zombie draft itself. What if she'd be pre-T-Virus? Well, doesn't it happen like in movie three or is that in the first one? I want to say that's in the first one. I I don't know. It's been, it, know. they all run together in my mind. Yeah. But, uh, you're, you're on thin ice here. You're on thin <laughs> I- you, you, you are skirting the rules, my friend, Rusty. It would be a great pick, no doubt, uh, if, if we allowed it. Fi- by the way, we downshifted into blue yonder mode. We will tear your picks to shreds if we disagree with them. Just oh, like, yeah. You, you've stepped into the ring. Yeah, sure. So, so get <laughs> ready. Uh, number five, Nathaniel Hawkeye from Last of the Mohicans, played by Daniel Day-Lewis. Frontiers been <laughs> raised by Delaware Indians, became expert in tracking, hunting, and marksmanship. One shot, one kill. He's used to living off the land. Famous quote, "No matter, no, stay alive no matter what occurs, I will find you. Uh... Yeah. He I'm, has wilderness survival you're skills. You're picking a badass from a romantic period piece. <laughs> it's a good thing you got three extra picks on us because the, 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 we're, we're getting some shaky picks here, Rusty. All right, so we've eliminated Daniel Day-Lewis yeah. and Alice. Yeah, he would try to bury his tomahawk into his zombie heart and didn't get bit immediately. <laughs> uh, number four, Fiona Glennon from Burn Notice, played by Gabriel Anwar. I don't no even know idea who the fuck who this, this is. is. Apparently, she's a formerly affiliated with the IRA, has gone since out on her own, using her skills in explosives, picking locks, tracking weapons, and hand-to-hand combat to make a living. Famous quote, should we shoot them? Although I must respect your mixing the male-to-female ratio, we did not pay nearly enough attention to that. We didn't, no. Because once you survive the zombie apocalypse, you got to get the breeding. But you know what? i got a fucking farmer, so that's all I need. <laughs> Fuck you and your farmer. Um... Dr. Gregory, uh, uh, number three, Dr. Gregory House from House, hobbling on his fucking cane, <laughs> addicted to pain pills, coming down with lupus. What the hell? <laughs> the team needs a doctor, and they don't come any smarter than the house. He's a board certified diagnostician. Diagnostician. They do come faster than the house, though. <laughs> <laughs> he'll, he'll be good for your first hour of survival <laughs> with a specialty in nephrology and infectious disease, who heads the Department of Diagnostic Medicine in Princeton, Plainsboro Teaching Hospital. If anyone can find a zombie cure, it's house. Bonus points for being crusty old guy with a disability. No, he's no. just going to say it's lupus. He's going to be in denial that it's lupus <laughs> until his face is being eaten off. Terrible pick. Come on, Rusty. <laughs> I agree. 
Part two, uh, second pick, Captain Samantha Carter from Stargate SG-1, played by Amanda Tapping, Air Force captain, mm. astrophysicist, engineer and pilot, considered Earth's leading expert on the Stargate and a host of other alien technology. According to Jack O'Neill, her brain is a national treasure. That's the guy's Mr. O'Neill trying to get in her pants. Yeah. Next yeah. pick, number one, General Maximus Decimus Meridius from Gladiator, played by Russell Crowe. Hmm. Russell Crowe's a badass. He's, he's a badass. Well, we got another period piece coming. We do. Roman general, commander of the Northern Army, natural leader of men, brings unparalleled strategic and tactical knowledge, desires to return to his family and his farm. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's all over. This team is perfect wins hands down. We no. Have... No, one of my guys can take out your entire team. Who's that? Boba Fett. Boba Fett. What are you going to do against Boba Fett? I got what Iron are you going to do against Iron Man? Come on now. Yeah. Uh, I don't even remember who all we picked. Uh, I, I think I picked, I know I picked a farmer. I think it was, uh, Mel Gibson from the side. <laughs> You're right. You've got no room to talk. I picked Boba Fett. Boba Fett is way better uh, than almost any other pick. I think my Iron problem Man, is I picked all dudes. So I'm going to have to Jurassic yeah. Park. Life will find the way somehow, <laughs> uh, when it's all over to, to get the repopulating. Yep. Uh, At least you didn't pick a, a jujitsu expert. At least you didn't pick that. Yeah, our our friend picked a mixed martial artist. And I was like, what are you going to do through a zombie in an arm bar? That's not going to work. Going to reverse Gamora? No. Whatever. That was awesome. <sighs> so I, I cast some doubt on whether you would be able to survive this thing. That was fun, though. If anyone else mm-hmm. wants to come at us, uh, shit, I'll link it in the show notes again. Uh, the Blue Yonder episode where we did our zombie draft. And uh, you can check it out. Okay. What else? Oh, before we go, one final thing before we get to the spoiler section. Our buddy Jesse, uh, who you might know from Personal Arrogance, uh, been doing a podcast. We've known him for years and years and years. Uh, he is trying to kickstart a brewery, and he's almost there. He's in, a home, he's in the home stretch. If Good Beer, if HP Lovecraft, if uh, Personal Arrogance, any of that stuff is up your alley, uh, spend the next couple minutes with us interviewing him about his passion and find out how you can support and then we'll get right to the spoiler section. So we will see you past the wall of music. Yep, sounds good. We have been friends for a long time now. I think we first came in contact around episode 20-ish, 23, 24-ish of uh, Personal Arrogance. Yeah, it was definitely way back then. And, and, and you're up to like 218, 219 now. I mean, that's almost four years. Yeah, We've been best internet buds. We've met up in real life quite. We actually plan vacations around all of our availability so we can get together and play board games and drink beers. It's not an exaggeration to say you're one of my best in real life friends at this point. Um, Definitely. And as long as I've known you, you've been passionate about one thing, and that is the the suds and the buds and the brews. Yeah, suds and buds are my number one and number two favorite things. So <laughs> yeah. my buds do rank after beer. I would I would have to give up my friends before I gave up beer. Uh, and uh, you and, and I remember you got your starts at a brewery, and you were kind of like the barrel boy, right? Yeah, I mean, I started at the very um, what's what's the bottom version of tippity top, the bottomiest bottom. I don't know. I'd have to ask Drake. But you started from the bottom. <laughs> 
Uh, you worked your way up to Master Brewer since I've known you. Uh, I've actually tasted some of your self-made creations, and I've watched you. You know, I remember when I went out to, uh, I think it was maybe the second packs I went out there, you had uh, scraped together, you know, you either cut a keg in half, and you're making a boiler out of it, and you're doing all this Frankenstein shit and, like, taking me through it. And, yeah, and every yeah. time I go out, and no, no, actually the first time it's when you were in the Seattle and you were making a beer out of a five gallon bucket in the bathroom. Right, right. Then well, I went out there and you had the half ke- cut keg with the turkey fryer heating element and all that stuff. <laughs> and every time I go out there, it just gets more and more elaborate. What the hell? Now you're doing a, your own brewery and it's amazing. Yeah, I'm trying to kickstart a brewery, and uh, so far we've had a lot of success. We're, I'm trying to raise $30,000, and I'm at $25,700. And you're in the final stretch. we got, what, six days left, five days left? Yeah, um, uh, less than a week, so we're at the home stretch, and we can make this thing a reality, but I still need a bunch of help to uh, kind of push it over the finish line. Yeah, and that's the thing. In, in Kickstarter psychology... Uh, and, you know, Jim and I have been through this with a couple of Kickstarters as well. You always have those kind of like people that are on the fence. They're like, oh, that's a great idea. But, oh, wow, there's 28 days left. I'll put, you know, I hit snooze on this. Right. Uh, you're, it's getting to the point where you'll be late for work. <laughs> yeah. Shit won't get done if you hit the snooze button too many more times at this juncture. Yeah. No, there, there's no time to wait. Um, and we have a lot of great backer rewards. Yeah, the t- from... t- tell us about the because uh, tell us about the concept of this brewery because it, 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 it unites another passion of yours. Right. Yeah. So I'll tell you how to find it. If you go to Kickstarter and search uh, Lovecraft, you'll find it because the name of the brewery is Lovecraft Brewing Company. Mm-hmm. And I uh, I'm a big fan of the author, the prolific short story author H.P. Lovecraft, who was inspired by Edgar Allan Poe and in turn went on to inspire. A lot of other horror writers, and I'm sure the people who wrote The Walking Dead are familiar with the works of H.P. Lovecraft. And sure, I mean, this, this is if you if you don't know the name, you will know this next one, which is Cthulhu, yeah, or so Thulu, Cthulhu or however kind of you pronounce it. Yeah, blowing up lately. Sure, if you've been to a con, uh, any kind of fan con lately, you have you will see a bunch of green winged octopus humanoid figures. That's Cthulhu. He's everywhere. Yeah, he is everywhere because he sl- he sleeps an eternally dead slumber. Sure. Uh, underneath the ocean, uh, yeah. just waiting, biding its time. So we're trying to help bring him back to life. That sounds like a good idea. Yeah, to come destroy the Earth, because I, I just want to be on his good side. <laughs> I live by the ocean, so if he does, you know, wake up and uh, decide to come to land, I want to be the guy who says, hey, I, I named my brewery after you. That's right. You're in prime kaiju territory. You have to appease <laughs> yeah. these beasts. I'm in the danger zone. You're right off the Pacific Rim. Yeah. So you you so it's it's it, it's lent his namesake to your brewery, uh, but it's also inspired and influenced some of your brews as well. Yeah. So our our flagship beers are the the Elder God, which is a beer de garde, a French style beer. And mm-hmm. uh, I got it. It sort of inspired my methodology of making beer because the the beer de garde is a big beer. It's seven and a half percent, and mm-hmm. um. I like to brew with some funky yeasts to give it funky in a good way to give it like some tart flavor and some interesting characteristics that aren't just, you know, your standard Pacific Northwest IPA. You know, I'm trying to be creative with the stuff. Sure. And I'm trying to make big beers, bold beers, beers that you kind of defy convention. And as uh, my wife Tasha and I like to say that we're brewing insanely good beers. (laughs) It will you you will uh, have to roll sanity checks. With every sip. Uh, yeah, exactly. 
So it wouldn't be a Kickstarter without some cool backer rewards, and this one is no exception. Uh, tell tell the people the, what they can uh, get in return for their hard-earned backer dollars, backer bucks. Everyone's going to be included on a founder's list, so sort of a thank you just to begin. At, at sort of the bottom, we'll sign one of our coasters and mail it out to you, so you have the official signature of me and my wife, because that's important. Mm-hmm. But uh, we go all the way up through uh, glassware. We got great pint glasses, growlers, through T-shirts, hoodies, and stuff. And all the logo design and everything was done by my best friend, Eric Walquist, who does personal arrogance with me. And he is just a killer graphic artist. And uh, He also designed every one of our Kickstarter T-shirts. He is the biz. Yeah, he's the biz for sure. And we came up with this sort of like modernized Art Nouveau, which is sort of a 19th, 20th century... French art style sure. that was used in a lot of advertisements that included a bunch of good-looking ladies. And so we sort of co-opted that, and instead of just, you know, good-looking ladies holding up the uh, the beer, we decided they should be monstrous, and they have, like, tentacle heads, and they're holding the pint of beer up with their tentacles instead of their hands. Because so. why not, you know? Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And then when you get to the upper end of the spectrum of donation, you can get... Hoodies, uh, we have a bunch of bundles, and you can get a, a stein, a handmade ceramic stein that's uh, made Badass. by my wife, who's a potter. Badass. And, yeah, at the, at the very tippity-top, you got the ability to come in and do a commercial production run of a beer of, of your design with me. Yeah, I, I'm just incredibly excited about this thing succeeding. I'm really, ha- I, I'm, you know, I'm really pulling for you guys. I really encourage our listeners, if you're a fan of good beer, if you're a fan of HP Lovecraft, if you're a fan of ba- the Bald Move family and personal arrogance, uh, please go to their Kickstarter. They've got a great video. They kind of show off the family. They show off the, the beers. You can see Jesse and his wife, Tasha, enjoying them. It's going to be in the show notes of this here podcast. The one you're listening to right now, pop over to the show notes. I'm going to link to it so you can get to it really easy. I uh, really believe in it. I can't wait to taste some of these HP Lovecraft-inspired brews. Jim and I are backers. We've thrown the, our, our monetary weight behind it. I, I really wish all the best, and uh, I hope you are successful in this final stretch. I just want to let you know, I mean, we're trying to do this truly independent, and the beer's going to be good, for one thing. I am an experienced brewer, so it's not like it's not like I just have this pipe dream and I think everything's going to fall together magically. Your wife I, is, too. She's got extensive brewing and distilling experience in her own right. Right, and you mentioned distilling because down the down the line is the possibility that Lovecraft spirits could be a, a thing. I'm I'm a salivating <laughs> and the head spinning at the thought. Anything else, man? No, I, I I think we've basically covered it. I just want to say thank you for giving me this platform. With the spoiler section, do we have a lot this week? A little bit. Michael McBee with my biggest problem. Hey guys, just wondering if you're the only if I'm the only one upset that they didn't have Bob reclaim to the hunters while laughing. You're eat, yeah, you're eating tainted meat. Yeah. Um so there was some Game of Thrones folk in a particular episode from last season that were really upset about a particular line being changed from uh-huh. only cat to 
your sister. Those people are lunatics. And I'm like, get the fuck out. Come on. It, maybe it's a little bit less, but there's some good reasons why they might have rewrote that line. Mm-hmm. I can't fathom why they chose to end on this note rather than have Bob, if he in fact is bit. Yep. Um, and in the comics, of course, Dale is the one who is in this predicament, and he has been bit, and he did wander off to die. And he yells back in their face at a moment of badass. You're eating tainted meat, motherfuckers. Yeah. Why they didn't have Bob like just hysterically laughing and saying that? I I don't I don't get it. Any momentum they built during this monologue and this reveal plus it's such is going to be lost. It's such a great one-two punch. Like Garrett yeah. is in this crowning moment of <laughs> and then Bob robs him of it, and we yeah. are feeling elated and awesome and. If they put this to the beginning of next week, it's uh, if the pacing there is no is, second punch. No, the pacing's terrible. I don't understand. I don't, and that's the thing. It's like one of the things that drove me nuts, and I couldn't talk about it on instant cast because it's a spoiler. Yeah. Uh by uh, the way, all you people that read the comics, please do not put comic book spoilers in the Facebook thread. I it just it, it's it, it it just makes me delete them. And I'm I'm just scared to death all Sunday night while I'm doing a podcast and sleeping that someone's going to spoil someone and, and ruin their day. I mean, we all know, we all know Whatever, we're excited. Man, it's not on you. We all it's know. I know, but we all know we're excited. The Hunter storyline is here. Uh-huh. We're all hoping they knock it out of the park. But there's, you know, when we have the forums, we'll have a spoiler thread so all the comic book fans can get together and geek out about how awesome it is. Until yeah. then, hold tight for another week or two. Please help us keep everyone spoiler free. Uh, he continues. All in all, I like this episode a lot, but I don't see Sasha having a problem with shooting dead Bob in the or Bob dead in the head like uh, Andrea. Do you think they're still heading in that direction? Hmm. I think that Bob's bit. I think that Bob will be. This is another Kirkman remix, and that he is going to be in, in exactly the Dale position. I think it would be very ironic, and I'm hopeful because I really like Lawrence as an actor. I'm really hopeful that he was bit on the leg and these fucking idiots uh, saved him and saved him by mistake. However, they would be idiots not to notice a giant zombie bite mark on a leg that they're eating. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, did I, they cook it with the pants on? Like, yeah, like I'm, unra- I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping a turkey. I'm getting it dressed. I'm about ready to put it in a fryer. I notice a, a giant bite on it. I'm going to be like, what the fuck, Butterball? <laughs> Why did someone take a bite of my turkey? Yeah, I'm not going to be like, eh, well, you know, whatever. So I that kind of like, man, if they do that, it's kind of bullshit. Yeah, Shit. I don't know how they're going to salvage the, the punch that... Bob might die, and honestly, have. they haven't made him interesting enough for me to want him around other than because of Lawrence. And it's a shame because, once again, the most interesting, compelling parts of a character come out right before they off him if, if they do indeed do this. So it's like I feel like yeah. people still needs to learn, and Kirkman need to learn how to, to pace this stuff out better. Um, but, you know, what are you going to do? Any thoughts before we move on? Nope. Uh, Edwin C. said, I need to address everyone's excitement over Negan because this guy has become the Howlin' Reed of the Walking Dead universe. Everyone is so eager to meet him. As a comic reader, I can tell you that there's at least a season and a half of story before we get to this guy. And a quick layout, we have the group's arrival to Alexandria, the group trying to fit in with the safe zone people, Rick's tangle for power, the Alexandria safe, ro- safe zone facing conflicts, uh, the introduction of Jesus in the hilltop, skirmishes with the saviors, Rick and his crew have several battles with the Saviors before he meets Negan, which leads me to believe that we won't meet him until the end of Season 6, setting up Season 7, and possibly 8. 
for the war in which is a very long comic arc or story arc in the comics. I, Edwin, think you are crazy that they are going to take that much, that much time to get to this. I think that they are going to, I actually, I'm one of the people that is expecting this Hunter's plot line to be wrapped up in the next week, maybe two. Um, and I kind of see them arriving at Alexandria, maybe at the end of this season. Uh, I yeah. think that all that stuff you're talking about as individual bullet points is an episode or two, and I think we're going to have Negan at the end of this season. I could be wrong. Uh, it could be the end of season six. No way is it going to stretch out to the end of season seven or eight. Like, that's it's, the thing. Once you get to eight seasons of a TV show... It's really hard to maintain interest. <laughs> and the other thing that you, you don't think about in TV terms is how expensive contracts get. Yeah. Like, you have to negotiate, and these people are going to want more and more money. Uh, From what I understand, Rick survives for a very long time. How old is Andrew Lincoln going to be portraying Rick? Uh Is he going to be in his 50s in episode uh, season 15? Like, what what are you expecting will happen with these characters? I don't know. know, Over the next eight seasons. Um, Like, TV shows don't last that long, unless you're The Simpsons, unless you're animated. Yeah, um, that's a good. Then you, you know why? Because animated is a lot cheaper, and you don't have as many power struggles and whatnot. Yeah. Okay. Um, he also talks about a lot of stuff that we've already talked about. He says one last thing. I'm disappointed in you, Aaron, being a comic book reader with being upset that Tyrese didn't shoot the guy in the cabin. You should know that Tyrese is an awful shot and had better odds of hitting the baby than the guy. Um. I actually respond to him in email. Now I just now realize what he's talking about. He's talking about in the situation where he had the guy dead to rights. Man, how fucking bad do you got to be to miss a shot by three feet when you're six foot away? Try it. Some, go to a range <laughs> with a revolver and see if you can hit a silhouette from that distance. Like, I don't know. I've been shooting iron sights since today. Since I was like seven years old. You haven't, though. Mm-mm. Was the first time I took you to a gun range the first time you shot? Yeah. You were hitting, uh, you, you were killing men, if you had to, at 15 <laughs> feet from the first. Sure. It's not sure. that hard. Yeah, it's not that hard. It's a very easy-to-use interface that's been evolved over a several hundred years. So <laughs> I, I just don't know. I mean, even if you're not aiming down the sights, it feels like you could you could hit a guy. And again, it's not like you had Judah's head up there. I yeah. might be scared. But he had his hands in the ice box, and he had a whole torso and head to, to aim at. I, I don't know. So you might be right, though. Uh, Travis P. said, Do you think they're keeping Judith alive so that Negan can kill her instead of Glenn? It'd be a good way to show how crazy he is. Beating a newborn, a, a, a toddler to death with a barbed wire baseball bat. Jim, can the Walking <laughs> Dead go that low? I think so. I think so. What the f- Seriously. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Walking Dead has no limits as far as uh, violence and the portrayal of violence. Uh, that was one thing that was interesting that I was kind of beside myself on the podcaster panel. How many of our fellow hosts were saying that The Walking Dead's gone too far with the the butchery of the last episode? It's not just last episode. No, but they were specifically saying yeah. that I that, that uh-huh. I yeah that it's too far. They want to bring it back. I'm like. No, this is getting worse. Yeah, you don't don't expect them to cut back on the violence. I feel like these these people are Theon Greyjoy and The Walking Dead is Ramsey Bolton and they just have no idea. Like it's this 
If you think this is going to end in in, in rainbow kittens and <laughs> puppy kisses, you haven't been paying attention. Yeah. Uh, Joe N said, I believe it was Carol in the comics that asked Lori if she could marry her and Rick. Ooh, this is interesting. This ties into what I was talking about last week, spoiler speculation. I think they're setting up Tara to ask Maggie if she can marry her and Glenn. Lots of shots of Tara being too close and friendly with each of them. So you remember I said that there's a pr- in a prison arc... Carol, after Ed is, 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 dies, and I think Sophia, um, kind of becomes deranged, and she becomes close to Lori and close to Rick, and fall and, and decides that she wants to marry them, and Biz says this is like kind of um, big love style, uh, fundamentalist Mormon family, and Lori and Rick are both like, no, no, that's not happening. You can't do that. Yeah. Um, and this also happens after she's rejected by Tyrese because she first coupled up with him. Michonne came oh, in. Oh, boy. She sw- he switches off to Carol Track to Michonne. Of course. Of course. And then uh, she goes and offers herself up to a zombie, a female zombie for love. And that works like you'd think it would. Legs first? <laughs> what? I don't know. Bob got eaten legs first. Oh. And, and you said she, like, I thought spread you were her making... legs for a zombie Okay. You, I, yeah. I thought, okay. that no, Okay, let's just move on. I was let's trying to make them both. On. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, wow. Let's see. Where was I at? I got to walk this one back. Derailed. Um, so I wondered, I, I think Carol's too strong of a character to pull that arc with. Yeah. And But but I was wondering, um, you know, if they wouldn't try to start a, le- a, tri- a love triangle with her or Tyrese or something like that. And I started thinking that, Halfway through the episode, I'm like, oh, they're going to go there with Tara. Yeah, could be. Tara's going to fall in love with Maggie and then want that, you know, that that closeness and that relationship, and they're going to reject her, and she's going to go crazy. But, I, again, I'm sticking with my guns. I feel like that this is a, I'm getting good to be friends with you. This is something between us. I need to come clean rather than I think you're hot and I want to uh, get with you naked. Mosh. Smosh. So you... What do you think? Yeah, no, I think they could go there eventually. Uh, and maybe this is setting it up a little bit. Yeah. And so I, I wouldn't totally disagree with the emailer, no. All right. I don't know. Like I said, it's, uh, it'd be a little weird. And, and this this whole Kirkman remix, I feel like sometimes he just needs to let some things go. And just let them play out as they do in the comics? Yeah, like, again, Father Gabriel coming this far into the apocalypse, strange, really kind of stranger credibility. We talked about that in Instant Cast, not so much this one, about how he could really just hole up for two years yeah. by himself. Mm-hmm. No problems, no bubbles, no troubles. Um, that wasn't a big deal when it happened immediately after the prison arc, which also happened, you know, less than a year into the apocalypse itself. Gotcha. So... I do feel like if he's going to continue to bring stuff back from, you know, we're on issue like 120 something. He's still bringing, if he's going to be bringing back from issues from like issue 25 and 30, it's going to get harder and harder because the world's not the same, man. Yeah. So, and the characters certainly aren't. Um, Good point. Anyway, that's what I'm, I'm hoping for. I guess we're going to be opening up with tainted meat if we get it at all, but who knows? Yeah. I'm wondering if they'll even go there. Like, they've established rules such that that might not matter. Yeah. That it's tainted, so maybe they won't even do it. All right. Uh, That's all I got, man. Anything else? No, I think that's it. All right, well, I'll be looking for our Walking Dead coverage of, or not our Walking Dead, our Month of the Dead coverage of which Romero movie? Uh, Survival of the Dead this week and... Coming out tomorrow. 
And then next Wednesday is both of the Dawn of the Deads, the original and the remake. Sure. And uh, we got that coming at you. And uh, yeah, that's all. I just <laughs> ran out of ran out of juice. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. All right. Good night.